everybody. Welcome to We Talk Games, WTG7. We Talk Games, so easy. A Neanderthal would have no idea what to do with it. We Talk Games. I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPache. To my left, T.T. Schmootkins. I'm not sure I like you anymore. No one came to your party. That was odd. I hear there will be donuts. Down the end of the bar, Stinky, the Game Master, Engelbert Humperstink. Just finishing up packing my duffel bag for next month's con tour. Oh, really? Yeah. Someone left a donut in the rain. Oh. Come celebrate with us the 25th anniversary of Tetris with the man responsible for bringing the game to handhelds and consoles alike, Hank Rogers. We'll also talk to one of the designers and programmers for Clax, Dave Akers. Greg Maletic of the Future of Pinball will also be back to talk about the Pacific Pinball Convention, plus everyone's favorite video game referee, Walter Day, and the perfect Pac-Manner himself, Billy Mitchell, will be making his We Talk Games debut, and they'll both be on to talk about the grand opening of the International Video Game Hall of Fame, and other goodies, I'm sure. All this, plus Pac's coverage with John F. and Seiler, Kyle Von Kubik, of course, Johnny Capcom, Eric Alex, Wiggly Cedar, Rock Band, Back! Batman, Chiz, and the We Talk Games International Council of Video Game Millionaires will talk about the evolution of the video game movies. You lie! Stinky. Now, Stinky. The time for playing games has been put on hold temporarily. Let's now start to talk games. And let's not just start. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part Because if it's from the 80s You must sing like robot I love you Alright, here we go Call me Psychic Psychic Star Wars Super Empire Strikes Back And Super Return of the Jedi Complete the Star Wars trilogy For the Super Nintendo in emulation Also, Fantasy Star for the Master System The one that started it all Get that five bucks And Crash and the Boys Street Challenge For the NES Rounds off the emulation released for the past month What an oddball way to round it off as well So, altogether, $15 you need to spend In the Wii Store Why? Because on the WiiWare side of the house, Contra Rebirth, show me the pixels! Finally, a 2009 new Contra adventure using pixels, of all things. This is a two-player joint if you're so inclined you sit next to someone and, and shoot it out. This game put a big smile on my face. It's unadulterated pixel art, although some of it might be faked. And it's clearly based on 3D models in some parts and... Who knows what else? But to me, it looks like pixels, and that's good enough for me. Now, it's not 16 by 9 format, which was a little surprising, but then again, it is for the Wii and for WiiWare, so I, you know, I don't know about that. But they do allow you to stretch the screen if you want to with different X and Y percentage increaser levers. I guess they're called. Uh, I set my screen to a 107% zoom on both the X and Y. And you can also change the position of your status, you know, your, the little picture of your guy and how much health he has and things like this. What am I talking about health? How many lives he has? This is a one-hit wonder type of thing, except that you have multiple lives in-game. And kind of odd, you also have unlimited continues in this Contra version as well. When you start out, you have it on normal, it is hard. It is Contra. 
Easy mode might be a bit too easy. I think it might take a little bit of the fun out of this title uh, because you not only have less on-screen enemies, but they're easier to kill, and you get to keep the weapon that you died with. I recommend putting this on normal mode, but maybe bumping up your lives to 7. And as I mentioned before, you have unlimited continue, so you're probably going to be able to get through this version of Contra. The bosses are great, though. They really are Contra. And I'll have a more elaborate review hopefully next month. Uh, I think Kyle also has this title. We'll both talk about it. One final thing. When you first get it and you start to try to run and mash down the shoot button, you won't be able to run and gun simultaneously. You have to do like the old school tap, 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 tap shooting as you're running in order to keep the flow of bullets coming, which I like. I like that about it. In the Xbox 360 Arcade, $10 Bubble Bobble Neo. Oh, man, I was so ready for this. But, oh, Bub and Bob and two other Bobbles, whatever your names are. Why, Tato, why? The polygons. The polygon characters. <laughs> they really did it. It is in HD. It's four players. Give it a demo. But it's just not happened for me in that polygon character 3D business. Red Alert 3 also commanding uh, Commander's Challenge. This comes to the 360 arcade. Ric Flair, woo, woo! And this is also the most overrated Red Alert, I think. Sonic and Knuckles came out as well. Still no word on how you might be able to piggyback your virtual downloads of this title. And Invincible Tiger, it's touted as a 3D game on the 360. The 3D worked pretty well. I tried it with my traditional 3D cyan and red glasses but at $15 I don't think this is the correct price point for this title it reminds me of a modern day Irem's Kung Fu Master except a whole lot faster and a lot to interact with you can interact with the environment and put a lot of technique on your gameplay it has a great soundtrack so give it a demo for the PlayStation Store, first of all, a system update brings a welcomed feature to the cross-browser. It's a little 6 or 9 gridded animated highlight grid. You get a 9 slotted grid for what's new altogether. You get a 6 slotted grid for the video store and a 6 slotted grid for the game store. The interface even to this grid is still a little wonky. I forget to press X to go into the grid and I end up having to fiddle about to get back to where it is in the cross-browser. But it's nice to see those featured bits in there without having to launch the crowded PlayStation Store. And you also can watch many videos and other things from inside of these uh, little grids. Plus, Life with PlayStation also received some new channels, which is nice since the old ones didn't work anymore. It still said the weather was... I think 50 degrees in the middle of summer. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't really updating. Now, if you don't know what this is, this is Folding at Home. Folding at Home has been on the internet since for a long time, uh, predated only by I think SETI, the SETI cluster sharing. And you can search for cures for diseases by using this Folding at Home application on your PlayStation 3 when it's just sitting around doing nothing except getting very hot and using a lot of electricity. So they added this World Heritage channel, which is a very nice channel that teaches you about other cities around the globe in a non-teacherly way. Still, to date, the best feature of the PlayStation Store is actual money prices. Sony, you win. You win. 
I don't know. I want to buy this. It says $5. I pay $5. It doesn't say 500 It doesn't say 373 things. Sony, you also win the downloadable content for this month. That prize goes to the George Takei add-on for the game Pain. Warning. If you buy Pain now, you must employ the PlayStation 3 game night plan in advance method. No fooling. I, I mean, George Takai is worth paying the $10 for this game. <laughs> uh, no doubt about that. And then $2 for him. That's fine. But I did make the mistake of using my spare PlayStation points to try to get this game and talk about it for this show. Well, after downloading the 211 odd megabyte game i of course went to install it i installed it i went to play it now i just downloaded it and i needed to go to the game updating there were five roughly 400 megabyte versions of this game that had to be downloaded one after another 400 megabytes download install 400 megabytes download install do this five times it took an hour and a half of updates before i got to play this game after those initial five 400 megabytes updates, the game starts and it says, do not turn off system, checking for updates. I poop thee not. 111 updates! <laughs> I, I, I tell you right now, Sony needs to implement into their trophy system the patience trophy and it's based upon how many hours you spend updating your system just to be able to play your games. 111 updates. But I finally got all my updates in. It was an hour and a half later, and I have a 10 megabytes down connection to the internet. The game starts up, and let me just inform you, I hope that you like Axe, you know, the men's perfume, because this game is, should have just been called Axe. Should have just been called Axe. And if you don't know what pain is, you take different pain people, in this case, George Takei, and you put them in a giant slingshot, and then you try to hit things around the city. Well, you get one city to start with, and then all these other city choices and air arena choices with buy labels upon them that are dancing up and down. Buy, buy, buy. So not only are you pelted with axe, any on-screen text has the word axe before it and axe after it. So you're pelted with this advertising for Axe and pixelatedly screamed at to buy additional gimmicks for this already hour and a half away from your life game. So if you feel like going through that pain, uh, by all means, be my guest. Also, the Katamari demo. Katamari Forever demo is available. I normally don't talk about demos, but that was it that came out for the PlayStation Store in the past month. And this just in, uh, the meeting of the We Talk Games Council for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, otherwise known, of course, as WetGAC Flipkeys, has now instituted something that I can actually get behind, the Downloadable Arcade at Home Award of the Month. And this month's console winner, the Wii. The Wii wins last month, of course, the Xbox 360 Arcade won because of Trials HD. And this month, your winner is the Wii. And we'll have this each month. We will pick a winner from WetGAC Flipkeys and the host of the show and pick the winner of the thing. All right, Keith, let's get Kyle on the line. This is going to be good. Let's get on with the show. Go! Satellite Port of Integrity, Jeff! Go, Kyle! 
Wiggly, are you down with Zelda? Ho <laughs> ho! Down with Zelda from the very start. I got the heart and smart to play the part. Peeping through with an overhead view, cause a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. Indeed, hey, I always watch my back for Jax as well. Well, you know why you should watch your back? Why? Addendum! Oh, jeez. <laughs> Last month we were talking on the panel, I made the mistake, I said that the Neo Geo <sighs> Pocket was 20 years old. Wrong, it's, it's 100 years 10. old. Yeah, it's oh. 100. No, it's 10. It's 10 years old. That's the anniversary it celebrated. And just as past 99, of course, we were 10 years of the Dreamcast. Why wasn't that mentioned? Because it wasn't 99 yet. And number exactly. two, because we already celebrated on the ninth year. You don't celebrate 99 on a, on the 10th year. Celebrate 1010. Well, in lieu of the request, I do have a quick Sega Dreamcast review. Okay, very good. Hey, and by the no. way, Mr. Fabersham uh, sent us a $20 Fun Spot gift card, a couple tokens and some coupons, and so now we got to get up to Fun Spot and, and get our games going. Great. Three levels of uh, floors. Fantastic. With an overhead view. Those are some fantastic pictures he posted up on the uh, forums there. And if you're not a member of the forums, go to wetalkgames.com, sign up, have some fun. Right. Yeah, man, and, and what a handsome devil that fella is as well. Rocking the medium. We need to uh, We need to get some more mediums. That's what I just found out. So I'll have to Absolutely. put that order in. What you got? This, did you know this show is freaking stacked? Talking about Fun Spot. I mean, we're going to have Billy Mitchell and uh, Walter yes. Day on here now that they don't hang out at Fun Spot. They're, you know, several hundred miles away. We're closer than they, they are. They have but been to Fun Spot. They have been there, and that is, uh, you know, that is a place of uh, infamy, as they say. Yes. Zelda uh, would been, say that. Zelda would say that. I like to go into the Xbox Live Arcade. I used to go into the community games, but now it's called Indie Games. Is I that like what to, it's called? It's called Indie Games now. Who knew? They changed I knew. that. So I told you. Yeah, you don't like that? You like community games better? A lot of changes going on. Oh, a lot of changes going on to the uh, Xbox Live Arcade. We have so it. much to talk about. Did you know how stacked it is? We not Guaranteed only Tetris talk and then clacks. The other yes. side. Dave Ackers from Klax. Very amazing. Yes. Uh, so anyway, I picked up a game for 80 Microsoft points. It's called I Made a Game with Zombies. <laughs> what? Um, it's <laughs> spelled in that, like, LOL, leet speak, cat type ah. of deal with threes and misspellings. Love anyway, it already. Basically, what you get is a game that's very similar to uh, Smash TV. You remember Smash TV, right? Never heard of I Love It. Yes. Well, you take the two sticks, uh, and uh, one stick you move, and the other yeah. stick you shoot. And that's yeah. pretty much it. You'd fight off endless hordes of zombies with a very trippy, distracting background that's constantly changing. Okay. And um, a very humorous garage band type of rock music where this guy sings about making a game with zombies in it. It's <laughs> great. It's very campy, cool. very self-aware. It's fun. It's only 80 Microsoft points. Yes, you can get the trial. No, yes, wait, did you, you can say play 80 the- or 800? 8, 8. Eight zero eight. eight zero. Yes. So yes, you can get the trial version and you can play it and get the whole gist of the game. But for eighty Microsoft points. Now wait, did you say eight okay. zero? Did you say eighty or eight? Did you say ten cents or ten dollars? You're really trying to avoid those addendums. No, I said eighty Microsoft points. So ten bucks around. No. Fifteen. No. Five. Wrong. Well, how much is 800 it's a points? Dollar. Oh! 
We okay? <laughs> this show is too stacked for this type of antics. Well, I need to get it straight. Okay. I'm out here spending, you know, $1,000 on a game that's only eight cents. <laughs> All right. Have we cleared things up now? Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, that's what you get. You're getting a Smash TV type of game where you fight off endless hordes of zombies. There's different guns and everything. If you like Smash TV, you'll like this th- this game. And um, it's only 80 Microsoft points. So Great. go out there and enjoy. All right. Now, I'm sorry, your time's up. Oh, thanks. The yell was too long. I'll see you next month on We Talk Games. (laughs) See you you at the con. Okay, Okay. what do we got? Next up, let's talk about Little King's Story for the Wii. All right. Please play that Wii bumper. Sorry, I don't do requests. I figured as much. Uh, It's a simulation RPG that's for, like, a niche type of gamer. Hold on. Can I get a Can I get a Go ahead. And, uh, all right, so th- we'll figure out right now if you're the niche type of gamer that this game's for. Okay, now um, this is in my queue, my game queue, but it's not it's not seen the light of day on my system yet. Okay, well, we'll talk about it. Maybe your interest will be piqued enough to play it. Uh, right. The gameplay has really, really strong elements of Pikmin. Wow. Um, yeah, as well as some elements of Harvest Moon and even a little bit of Animal Crossing uh, happening. Crossing, you know? yeah. Crossing. Let me start Now over. we're going to have to have a addendum on that. No, let me try that again. Everyone out went out and tried to buy Animal Crossing, and now they're yelling at me. You're making me nervous. Okay. <laughs> what do we got? Here we go. Ready? Yes. So the gameplay has really strong elements of Pikmin, yeah. as well as Harvest Moon, and even a little bit of Animal Crossing. Yeah. And uh, if that mix of games is something that you know piques your interest, then I think you'll dig this game. I just play all three games back to back, and then I get that quelled. Well, I don't think you'll get the same type of experience, okay. but you might enjoy it. That, that sounds good. Now, um, do you buy this, or how does this happen? You can buy it at the Wiggly Mini Mall. Oh, okay. All right, for $44.99 here. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel about this. And thirty five ninety seven used. <sighs> it's it's a full-price game, but it is a it gives you a, a full amount of game for that yeah. price. You get a real game. Visually, the art style is very similar to the games I spoke about. You know, the Pikmins and the Harvest Moons and the Animal Crossings. Um, But despite this cute, cartoony facade, it's actually a very challenging and often difficult game, even on, like, easy setting. You play as a young boy who has been chosen to become the king of this kingdom that has fallen, and you want to rebuild it and restore it to the glory that it once was. Okay. The game's goal is simple. It's world unification, not domination, unification. And to complete this goal, you're going to need to recruit citizens of your kingdom and assign them to different jobs. And each job has their own abilities and their own weaknesses. For example, farmers can dig, dig up treasures. Soldiers are good at in combat. And you have carpenters who will build your bridges and stairs. That way you can access different areas. Mm. You'll, uh, you'll be grinding for gold and completing quests and conquering nearby kingdoms all the while improving your units, unlocking new job classes, and expanding your kingdom. Oh. Now, there's seven enemy kings that you need to defeat. And with all the quests and the kings and the grinding, it's going to be about 30-plus hours of gameplay. Oh, okay. But right, it so keeps you into it? I've liked it a lot. I just don't have enough time to invest in it. This sure. this game is going to um, be pretty demanding on uh, your schedule. 
now the quests are simple and they don't eat up a lot of time but you want to go back and play some more and I just find that I don't have the time to sit there for long spans of mm. time and just keep playing right on but I do I dig the game and it, cool. it's got me interested the controls and the camera can sometimes be a little annoying but it isn't horrible and I would recommend this game if you're looking for something of the simulation RPG style with the kingdom building and you're a fan of Pikmin I'd pick this up but that's me very good. Hey, let me tell you what I've been playing on the Wii, and you will not believe it. What I, it? I actually played my full a full first whole game that I've played in years. I, I have not touched this franchise. I have not especially touched it on the Wii. But yeah. I actually picked up um, and played Madden 10. What? Madden 10. Oh, Madden 010. This isn't happening. This is, is this really still happening. We talk games. Are we it, still talking games? It is, and we are. And let me tell Am you I about online? this. And and that's why it's so uh, fascinating about this. I actually played an entire game with the full five minute. Uh, what do you call those quarters? Wow. Yes, and and I'm not a big. You know, I, I haven't touched sports for for a while. That that's not it's, like uh, an extreme Super baseball stars too on the Neo Geo. Well, yes, of course. Anything that has like rocket jet power power ups and things like this, yes. Then I play the sports, but I haven't touched a pure type of sport game in, in quite a while. And I only tried simple mode. I only used the Wii mode. That was it. And okay. I used the option to point at the screen where I wanted the ball to go, which receiver I wanted to receive it, and press the A to pass to them. Right. So this was really, really cool. Think of playing back in the seventies or eighties. You might have, when video games first came out. You're like, one day in the future, <laughs> I'm going to be able to use a remote control. And this was back when remotes still were like wired to your television. You had to slide a, you had to slide a an arrow uh, across to the different numbers that were lit up and an with overlay a, over yeah, the screen. Exactly. Um, so. You thought, one day I'm going to play football just with a re- remote control. And here you really are doing it. Now, I know a lot of people, probably, I've read reviews of this, we just poop on it completely. But I have got to tell you that I hope in the future that the Madden franchise for the Wii, if EA can put the developmental time and effort towards it, yeah. goes more in this direction. I think it is fine. It is not like for babies, although I did run a uh, basketball score over top of the Jets. I think it was 128 to 0. Um, okay. So I, 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 I had it set too easy, but you can, now, you can bump up the difficulty. Does this game support the Wii Motion Plus, or is this just the standard Wii Remote? As far as I know, it's only the standard Wii Mote. Okay. Now you're not going to get all the other, you know, bells and whistles, and of course the gorgeous graphics that you will on the other two consoles that this came out for. But you're also not going to get the excuses for why they don't have the same type of physics engine that Backbreaker has. I don't know if you saw a lot of the new commercials for Madden 10, but they say the brand new physics engine that does this, that, and the other. But they're trying to cover up for the fact that it's not purely AI and physics generated. It it's old school motion capture and then you know so many thousands of motion captures that they've done for it's gorgeous it's wonderful people really enjoy it but it's not the same type of in-game generated physics so you won't have to deal with that but this was a really really fun game i really recommend just rent it see what you think but i had a blast just because i'm more of a casual type of sports fan i don't care about 
you know, if I can beat up a dog as a mini game on here or anything else <laughs> oh, like that. You know, I don't care about all these things that happen in real football because yeah. I only follow the real sports in the world anyway, roller derby and pro wrestling. I don't follow these fixed things like boxing and canoeing. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Playing so this could open fo- up a whole new market to the casual gamer. I th- it makes it very accessible, right? I think so. It's very accessible and it was actually fun. So cool. I would like to see it go more in this direction and not less in this direction. Very good. I mean, you see that a lot with the Wii uh, and how third-party developers are starting to tailor games for the Wii, and then its Xbox and PlayStation counterpart is different completely. And the that, controls and, and looks and things like that. I'm 100% behind that because they, they don't work with the, you know, the, the graphics power. I mean, that's what these games really get by on, the graphics power and, of course, the animation, and that, that eats up a lot of memory. So you can't get that on the Wii make it a little bit different. I don't want to be playing as my me on there and, you know, a big goofy baby. Right. But what, you know, what's babyish about baseball stars 2 like you brought up? Nothing, you know. No. And that's a lot of fun arcade animated. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, go for that. That's what I say. Go for gross. That's what I say. Very good. Yeah. Mad balls. <laughs> All right. Hey, while we're on the Wii and addendums is are your specialty, let's uh, addendum no, it, without the addendum person involved. Let's addendum behind his back. John had brought up, of course, Wii Sport Resort. He played it, and I did not have a chance to play it. i got to tell you, this month I played more games in, this past month than any other month I can remember in recent years. That's fantastic. Beatles Rock Band, Wii Sports yep. Resort, Batman. Yep. I don't know what more I could ask for three of the greatest titles for their each respective system that i played them most before. definitely yeah yeah but we sports resort not only does it incorporate the things like from pilot wings and wave right. race and stuff like that but it opens uh, with them it opens with the with the parachuting bit i asked about skydiving he wasn't too sure he thought we there's there is a part where you do uh go around the island in a plane and you actually hold the wiimote like a paper airplane all the more reason we need pilot wings for the Wii. Well, you know... Or this, pilot wings. Yeah, no. And yeah, no, uh, so this is supposed to sort of satiate, I think, your pilot wings fix. Because there's actually a couple things you do with the skydiving. Like, and let me tell you, if you played that skydive for the PS3 and then you played this pilot wings, it, it's the same type of game. You try to link up with people and take snapshots yeah. of yourself. <laughs> Except this one you can actually control. So... Uh, and it's like night and day. But not only that, not the reason is, I mean, this is 24 versions of gameplay, 12 different sports. This is Wii Sports. And if you liked Wii Sports, or you never got it, number one, you, if you never got Wii Sports, you don't need it. Wii Sports Resort is going to fill all those needs, except the boxing, which didn't work to begin with. No. But yeah, you have the repeats of the bowling and the golf, and you have the repeats of the part I love the most about bowling. Except now it's it's actually like a game mode and not just a practice mode, and that is where you could blow it up to ninety nine and some pins or something like this. And, you and know, don't that, forget about your dog. What about the dog? The dogs in there with the frisbee, but John mentioned that. But oh. uh, that's okay. You know, that's what we like to do here. Uh, prototype is great. <laughs> By the way, you can elbow drop some people off the top of a building. 
I can't believe it, but that's actually real. And, you know, you have all this stuff, all this other stuff. So some of the things are fantastic. Other things are okay. But you got 24 different types of gameplays on here. There's bound to be something that you like. And for the family, for the Wii, this should be a bundle. It should be a pack-in with the new Wii systems. This is really, really uh, worth it. And that's all I have to say about that addendum. Excellent. So as we also... You okay? Are you all right? I'm all right. Do I have to call somebody? Call SWAT. You got it. We talked about it at the top. Uh, the Dreamcast had a little bit of an anniversary. It was 10 years of the Sega Dreamcast. Okay. And some people on the boards were asking, oh, why don't you do anything? Are you going to do anything? Well, I wanted to do something. So I dusted off the Dreamcast and put in Power Stone 2. <laughs> Fantastic game, Power yeah. Stone 2 is. Like and... This game is begging. This franchise is begging to be brought back. I, I want to say on the virtual console or WiiWare, but let's be honest. This is the type of game that belongs on the Xbox Live Arcade mm. where you can play with your friends and it will work. Yeah. And you can have a blast. Great game. You can pick it up on the cheap, the Wiggly Mini Mall. Uh, if you missed the Sega Dreamcast, you can pick that up there too. And just what a fantastic game. One of my favorite Sega Dreamcast games. Yeah, I recommend Power Stone 1 over 2, but both of them are very good. And uh, don't get the remakes on the PSP, because those take like a year to load, and they don't really look that good. No, they don't. But I mean, I I know you agree. The the Power Stone franchise, uh, that so belongs on... Any arcade thing, if it belongs right on, that way you could just plug in, play with your friends, and yeah. have a good time. It would fit right in, and and I bet it's probably low bandwidth, so that would be great. Let's talk about a huge title that came out for the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3. A lot of buzz, a lot of hype around it. Batman Arkham Asylum. Oh, the Batman! Yes, hey. acclaimed as the most critically acclaimed superhero game ever as denoted by Guinness Book of World Records. Amazing! Hey, now, a uh, couple months ago, we were talking yeah, about this game, we were. and you said, oh, pff, it's just going to be a Batman game. <laughs> For the record, I, I just want that, that to be known. Oh, yeah. Well, Wiggly of Trapdoor said, it's just going to be another Batman game. I, no, I think I said, I hope it's not going to be another Batman game. No, I'm pretty sure you said, ah, why be excited about that? It's just going to be another Batman game. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Well, so we'll talk about why it's not just another Batman game. And you know what? Everybody in the We Talk Game stable wants to talk about this game. Let's open no, the lineup. Keith, open up the line. we got Eric Alex in the queue. Eric, are you oh. there? Wiggly. Eric Alex. Now you're oh. on the line. Completely unplanned. This is... How it, how it happens. This is great. I thought I'd bring him in. I'd bring in John, but uh, he dropped off. Evidently, he's, he had to make a haggis run. He lives in the future <laughs> by five hours, I think. He does. But I'm sure he'll mention something about it when he does his bit. I'm just guessing. All right, All so right, let's talk about, about Batman. This? The Batman. <clears throat> I think uh, Batman Arkham Asylum is one of the greatest superhero games ever, if not the best. Rationalize. I'm with you thinks it's almost like a perfect game. Yeah, he questions, is this the perfect game? I don't know if i go that far, but... I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that it is a very deep and interesting game for what it is. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, what you have here is a third-person perspective Batman game, uh, similar to like a Sam Fisher game, The Splinter Cell, with mm-hmm. the sneak and stealth, which is a very interesting way to take it, and Batman is probably one of the best superheroes to base a video game off of because he's vulnerable. He's mortal. Yeah. You know? yep, it's yep. not like a Superman game where, oh, okay, there's a 
chemical <laughs> haze of kryptonite over the city or something. Yeah. You know, this game's fantastic. Now, if you made a Max Fleischer Superman game, then he would be more vulnerable. That would, yeah, that gas bullets and things yet like that. Be made. Yeah, that would be that would be really great. It would be wow. Uh, but this game has a great art style. It's really gritty and dirty. And Wiggly uh, and Eric, I gotta ask you, who's your favorite Joker of these two, Jack Nicholson or Heath Ledger? Hmm. Wrong. Oh. It's Mark Hamill from the animated series, <laughs> and that's why this game is great. Yeah, because the oh, I, I believe it's the entire voice acting cast is in this game and from the animated series. Wasn't Jack Nicholson the Penguin anyway? Because he looked like the Penguin to me. No, that was Burgess Meredith actually. Oh yeah, yeah, he was definitely <laughs> the Penguin. <laughs> but I this mean, game you know, is phenomenal. physically, physically, Jack Nicholson should should have been the Penguin. I think the yes, voice acting is fantastic. Everything's good. Yeah, uh, interesting boss battles. They change it up. There's, um, you know, the the trial and error. You got to figure out how each guy goes down. And sometimes the gameplay itself changes. Great cinematics. The the graphics are, are great in some points. In other points, they look like they were, you know, a little phoned in with some of the uh, tertiary characters. But the important parts are seamless in this game. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go perfect game, but it's a lot of fun. And people said, well, you know, if it didn't have Batman on it, it wouldn't be that great of a game, and everybody wouldn't be going crazy for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, obviously. I mean, the whole <laughs> narrative of Batman is the game. Like, it, that means nothing. You know, I hear a lot of video game journalists saying sure, that. Sure, but I gotta tell you, I hate... I mean, I listen, I love Solid Snake. I think he's a really cool dude. Yeah. But I really hate sneaking around. And this game, I can do it. Yeah, see, I didn't want to say this was like a Metal Gear type sneak around. That's why I went no, for the not, yeah. the Sam Fisher type of way about it. Because you can just run up and try to fight, but it's probably not the best way to play this game. And right. it's not the most enjoyable way to play this game. And if you think you're just going to be walking around a dingy dungeon hospital thing, boy, are you wrong. Yeah, no, the, the buildings are very dynamic and the architecture is strange. I, again, I've heard people say, why are there gargoyles inside a building? Really? Like, <laughs> if you have to chip away that, like, whittle it down to that, those little things that are annoying to you in a game, obviously there's no big things to be talking about. But I mean, this I, game is a lot of fun. I just, I like the fact, too, that you, you're outside of Arkham Asylum as well. Yes. Sometimes. Wandering the grounds. Um, how about the, oh, I don't want to give too yeah, we much don't, away. We don't want to do any I don't spoilers, too much, but. Yeah. You know, we have to be careful on that, but uh, but uh, the fact that you don't spend all your time just looking at walls, I think, is fantastic. And some of the rooms are very big; they're wide open. And, it's dynamic. It's yeah. a dynamic game. It's very good. I don't think it spoils anything to say that Arkham Asylum's on a big island, and there's a number of different buildings on the island. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and. I don't think this is a, uh, you know, speaking of little things, I don't think this will give anything away, but as you progress through the game, you can tell that Batman has been through more and more and more. So as you progress further into the game, you mm. see that he just seems aged, if you will, and... and uh, oh, he looks like hell. Star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's and been the, there. There's a little thing to talk about. That's interesting. That was cool that they put that in there. You know, they could have yep. very easily just kept the model as is, but they decided to say, hey, this is a one night of hell for Batman on Arkham Asylum. Yeah, because... And they really delivered. Yep. And and you think about, like, if I wanted a Spider-Man game, I want to go against a Sinister Six. And I know you're saying, oh, then just play it on the Game Boy in, in, in you know, Three Shades of Gray. But, uh... And why wouldn't you? 
<laughs> but, but I mean, no, and actually, I think that was an NES title. Uh, but, you know, it was a letdown. But, I mean, of course, you'd want, I would want to put him against the Sinister Six. And here you are in Arkham, and that's where all of Batman's villains that he's put away are. Right. So it, it's, it's really, really cool. And- Speaking of tertiary characters, they really dug into the Batman mythos and dug up some very old and, like, you know, interesting villains like Mm. Black Mask is in there and a few others Mm. that, again, I don't want to give away. But people you wouldn't wouldn't think, you know, everyone thinks, oh, Batman. So you got Two-Face, you got uh, Joker, you got Penguin. There's more than just those top-tier villains in there. And speaking of uh, top-tier villains, how about those Riddler challenges? Trying to find all of the uh, question marks, that's kind of a cool aspect to the game. That was my favorite part. It's another little thing to draw you back to play it. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Can you really believe the final boss is King Tut? That's just silly! That, that's, see, and now you're just spreading false spoilers because we all know it's Egghead, but that's besides the point. Let's move on. <laughs> Vincent Price. Because that's excellent. Right. Awful. That was the, like, worst. And then how show. about that Batmite part? Jeez. Oh, that, that was screwed up. You just took the... <laughs> I liked Batmite. Batmite was awesome. Yeah, sure. Um, Batman, let's you know, talk pricing the, real quick because this is yeah. a game you need to buy for your system. Okay. For the PlayStation 3 at the Wiggly Mini Mall, you can buy it new for $52.99 or used for $44.90. All right. Well worth it, though. Well well worth it. For the 360, same price new. Used, you can pick it up for 40 bucks. Right on. Now, now Kyle, you and I played it on the PS3. Yes. And Eric played it on the 360. Yep. Now, we, we have something special on our version that Eric does not. And we what actually is that? have two things special. Number one is, of course, you can do uh, Be the Joker. That's the big push point. Right. Uh, but what it is, is I have not done it yet. I have downloaded my free version of the Joker. If you're wondering, if you get this game, you're like, how do I just start out and be a Joker? Uh, you can't do that. What you do is you go to the... I didn't say it exactly like that. Well, you did. <laughs> and that's what it sounded like to me. You go to oh. the PlayStation Store and you download your free Joker gimmick. And then, once you start playing the game, it's about... Three, you have to do, like, two things in the game, and whammo, you unlock the challenge mode. Right. And that's where you could be the Joker in the challenge mode. But I'll have more on that next month. The other unexpected twist that occurred, and believe me, you'll get some unexpected twists in the Batman game itself. The unexpected twist was I went into PlayStation Home. Now, you might think that is the unexpected twist, because who goes into PlayStation Home? <laughs> Uh, the, Just you. The, the greatest thing about PlayStation Home is that every time <laughs> I solitude, <laughs> every time I try it, the home it gets better and better. The bad news is that it's still nothing that you would want to spend a lot of time doing because it's just a bunch of men trying pretending that they're women and furries happen. <laughs> and what you do is you go in there and you you, you download the newest Resident Evil area, and then you go look right. and you're like, this stinks. And then you go into the, the mall and you buy yourself some clothes. You're like, oh, I'm going to spend 50 cents on a Pac-Man shirt. The nice thing is Namco's giving away some of their shirts, and that's how you should do it. You should give away some of them because it's advertising. You're advertising. Others, yep. others are only like 50 cents, and that's very reasonable. Can you get uh, a T-shirt that says, furries happen? No, but you, <laughs> you can dress up like a hamster. Uh, in a complete right. hamster suit. <clears throat> but nice. I did. I, I was thinking about a couple of different furry uh, shirt designs today. It's weird. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know why. I thought I would be a good seller, but and not in the home store. But if as soon as I went in the home, all of a sudden it said, you now have the bat cave as your house. So you could go into the bat cave, and it's very funny because all you do is you go into the bat cave and you're completely alone. It's a very dark and all that's there is the Batmobile. What's and, like home itself. <laughs> exactly. The Batcopter. <laughs> and you're, it's just kind of like completely nobody. Not even. And Alfred's not there. Nobody. Uh, now, but, is this Batman Arkham Asylum Batcave or is yep. this Adam West Batcave? Uh, well, I haven't been. I don't know if a Batcave happens in Arkham Asylum, so I can't speak for that. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm saying in the style of sure. because I like the Adam, Adam West one because everything was labeled. Um, so you well, what you're looking at, yeah. Uh, there's no telephone. there's no giant penny. There's no Tyrannosaurus Rex, but there is uh. the, there is the Batmobile. You could look at it. You can pop the hood uh, when you look at it. There is the Bat computer, and on the Bat Ooh. computer is the commercials for Batman Arkham Asylum. Just like in the real Batcave. Batman goes to his his uh, you know Batcave and he watches commercials for him when he fights the Joker in Arkham Asylum. That's a sweet cable setup. <laughs> yeah, very gauche about him. Yeah. And the Batplane is the Batwing is there and stuff like that. But the the greatest funniest thing is that all the little junk things that you buy like the little Chung Lee figures and and King figures from Tekken and your free Namco vending machine oh, uh, yeah, yeah. you can you can put all of your comfy sofa and everything else you can decorate the bat cave anywhere you want you can put this completely out of place furniture that you buy or brought <laughs> over from your beach house in the bat cave awesome yeah so so uh, I have like this director's chair or whatever set right by the bat pewter and I have I have the ghostbusters ghost trap Right neck down nice. next to it. So uh, there's a crossover is. game right there. <laughs> Batman and Ghostbusters meet. And, and like you know, Robocop and Terminator. It's those little things like that that get you to go back in a home and then you're there for an, you know, about three minutes, you're like, Yeah, this still sucks. But <clears throat> like I said, the the greatest thing about it, it's getting it gets better every time. I just hope it's still around by the time it gets really good, that's all. Yeah. Speaking of a bunch of junk, uh, do you want to get into the Batman Arkham Asylum Collector's Edition box? Yes, I want to hear all about this. I don't have a PlayStation 3, but my friend does, and I bought him this for his birthday. I pre-ordered it way back in May, right? so that's why I've been playing the game. Mm -hmm. So um, I was promised the world with this collector's edition. Uh, The biggest thing being the Batarang, the the aluminum Batarang that was going to come with every box. Well, somewhere between then and now, that metal Batarang turned into a cheaply molded piece of PVC that got uh, two coats of Krylon Touch and then thrown into this gigantic bat-shaped box. I cannot recommend this. And now, of course, you could still throw this around, though, right? Uh, no, because it is um, molded into the stand that it comes with. Because, of course, you'd want to have this hideous piece of plastic sitting on your desk. Just to uh, wow. give some ambiance to the room. Yeah, it doesn't even come off the stand. And there's a little journal in there that has um, like a pleather binding type of deal about it mm. which is interesting it's not worth a hundred dollars these things are going for a hundred bucks but on the wiggly mini mall yeah. you can pick them up for uh around 
89 to 84 dollars new for both uh, systems yeah. or between 50 to 45 dollars used but why would you want to use collector's edition doesn't huh? it come Maybe in like some- a, a giant bat pillow or something what is that what is that giant <laughs> not thing a, see on a pillow wall? it's a giant bat box you open this box up and there's a ton of foam and there's no instructions on how to open this so my friend actually ended up ripping the foam out not knowing that there was a foam trap door where the game was he's like where's the game and rips this stuff out so uh yeah he was kind of disappointed i was disappointed but you know what the disappointment was washed away when we started playing the game together yeah i was talking earlier about games that i wasn't hooked into this game hooked both of us in and it was a game that you could either watch and enjoy or play and enjoy, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you got to be a Batman fan, obviously. Yeah, I played you... through this game twice. Wow. Oh, wow. Fantastic. That's, that's hardcore right there. If, no. you, if you know me, too, I don't have that kind of attention span. <laughs> this is a seriously good game. Now, when you played the, the second time, um, yeah. did you go for all the side missions and the, and the little quests and things? Oh, yeah, definitely. It See, was that's a what, lot I, quicker. A lot yeah, I think it's time. A, there's enough there to, to make you, like, to give it a replay. Games of this type of genre don't really have a high replay value once you beat them. But I think there's enough there. Plus, let's face it, it's the IP, it's the franchise. It's going to draw you back in. A lot of the systems of the game are just too fun to quit playing after you're done. and that's yeah. Which makes the challenge mode pretty cool, I think. And that's real key as well, is that you can go in a room and you can... You can play it your own way, whatever, right. whatever aggressive, aggressive or conservative, whatever you bring to that game, you can make it happen. Yeah, you get into a stealth area and you become a cackling sadist. That's all there is to it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, how how often did you use the detective mode, the the uh, sight in the game, the second sight? I think I, I I ran it pretty much the entire time. Yeah, there's almost never a reason to turn it off. Which is a shame, because I think you miss some of the the nuances of the game when that's on, but it just makes yeah. the game so much more like stealthy to play. You know, yeah, I can see the guy over there, and I'm yeah. going to swing over here, grapple down, hang his friend up from this gargoyle, swing over. The, you know what I mean? Like that whole drop him on landing. Yeah, yeah it's, and uh, a lot of times you're looking for the Riddler challenges too. So yeah. you need to have it on, or you're not going to get them. And I, yeah, I think if there's hit. yeah, if there's any if there's any downside to the game, I, I would think it was that is that. I don't know if you call it, call it a, a minus or a plus, but because it did make me look at the areas like twice. So I did take longer to play the game, um, and I'm only going through the first time, because I would look at the environments in both detective mode and normal mode. And I think that was the, that's the only thing um, hopefully they'll fix in Batman 2. Hopefully there is a Batman Arkham Asylum 2 uh, or something else. Yeah. I don't know. you got to imagine there will be. Bat yeah. Boat and Bat Might both will be in Arkham uh, in Batman Two. Maybe uh, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty will get a uh, exclusive where you can play as Bat Might. You know what would really be great is taking the Frank Miller's Dark Knight series and then turning it into uh, a game like that. Yeah, where he's an old grizzled old man with and that, that has to wear like super powered gloves and stuff like that. I gotta say though, one of the things that made this game uh, just, I guess so nostalgic for me was that voice acting because i love that animated series Mm -hmm. that first first two three seasons of that animated series was just awesome everything i wanted from a batman series well that's my cue anything else anybody no that's it bye batman 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, definite buy. Thank you very much for hopping on this call. I'm going to get back to interviewing Kyle. Thank you for, that's going to be your piece for uh, this month as well. I guess that's what's been occupying your time. Twice. Yeah, fantastic. It's a great game. Uh, So uh, we'll talk to you hopefully next month. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. So last month we had the winner of the Stinky's game. uh, What is it called? Stinky's Contest of the Month. Yeah, Stinky's Contest of the Month. Right, right. And so we we had that was rationalized. And then right. uh, last month we had uh, a contest. You had an also name what game this was. And let's get stinky. <coughs> uh oh. This is the cutest thing. I wish I I wish that uh, now I wish we were a video podcast. He's uh, he's got uh, uh, looks like a nineteen eighties Life magazine open. Okay. And uh, he's leaning back on his bar stool. And he's uh, he's got the Life magazine open, sort of half on the bar, half on his lap, and he's got his thumb down at the lower uh, right corner. He's okay. fast asleep. Pretending, oh, that's adorable. Pretending to be changing the page. Huh. That stinky's always a uh, always an adorable character. Maybe he's dead. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe. You know what? Yeah, maybe he is. That would be unfortunate. How many? Should I go try and wake him? Um, should we disturb him? Maybe we shouldn't, because uh, you know, what if he is really dead, and then then we'd have to sort of stop the show. And we really got a stacked show. Here. We have too much to stop. We can't stop. There's too much going on in the show. Maybe we'll just uh, well, just don't go over there. Just uh, you know, TT. Uh, we'll we'll see if. See what happens. We'll hold a mirror under his nose later on, I guess, after we're done. Closer to being done, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. TT, uh, now, you know what? I needed to ask you anyway, because I sort of need a random number generator. Now, you can generate random numbers, right? Of course I can. Tell me to generate a random number between 1 and 1 million. Uh, okay, uh, generate a random number between 1 and 1 million. 83. You oh, can't oh. get much more random than that. That was pretty random. Okay, I guess, and it was sort of fast too. So well, we uh, only had hundreds. We had hundreds of uh, yeah. We don't even need to, to go contest. to millions, not millions, right? So, so that's good. Got to scale it back a little bit. All right, so uh, so we got a couple hundred entries. Now this was for, of course, a trove of games donated by Good Old Games. Good old games. They're yeah. fantastic. I don't know. Go there. Good Old Games. Go to uh, gog.com. Gog.com. If you haven't clicked on the links from our show notes and everything else, check out this plethora. This They are stacked with are the stacked. Good Old Games. Earthworm Jim. One and two. It's a bundle. You can't go wrong with this. And they're going to work on your system. That's what's great about it. Their catalog keeps expanding every week. More right and more games keep dump- getting dumped in. So It's fantastic. It's something for everybody. So we're going to, out of our 100 list here, TT's going to generate the uh, random number, as she is prone to do. And she's going to spit out the, uh, the winner of this week's show. Go ahead, TT. Take it away. He's, uh... You got 83 real quick. Anytime, TT. One in a hundred. That's all I need. Seems like in a loop, TT. Her eyes are flashing. She's not listening to me, TT. Oh, God. Is it still going? 
One in a hundred, TT. Should I just pick a number? Or? How about half it? We just go 50. TT, the show is stacked, TT. The winner is. Oh, oh are you serious? What in the world? Is this like another implement uh, implementation from Wetgack Flip, please? This is silly. Hugh O'Sullivan. Hugh O'Sullivan. Congratulations. Congratulations, Hugh. Glad that uh, glad you could win. Glad that you can be a part of Good Old Games. And you have to drop us an email telling us what good old games, what gogs you got. Speaking of uh, supporters, Gog and of course uh, Jinx was our first supporter of the Stinky's Game of the Month. Uh, did you see? I, I'm wearing the, the the Jinx shirt. Yes, in I did the see this. Chikara Podcast of Gogo, and they posted it on their thing for. If you do a search for Samurai on the Jinx site, you'll see me wearing the Samurai shirt. You're famous yeah. now. Yeah, I am famous. So, uh, so that's good. That's great. Well, thank you. Thanks for helping us uh, out there, TT. You really, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know if it constituted helping, but yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just. Keep away from uh, stinks over there, so we could get done with the rest of the show. Because, like I said, it's stacked. Now, this month's contest is going to be a little bit different. This is going to be an in-house contest. Very exciting. And this is this is great. This is going to be, in fact, it's going to be the start of what we had originally planned on being stinky bucks. Now we might yes. actually call them dead stinky bucks. It depends on <laughs> how this all turns out. Terrible. Well, you know. Can't you poke him with a stick or something? No, man. Because what if? Then, then we gotta like you know. Then I gotta call the morgue. Then I gotta call the the meat wagon. And then well, is he uh, starting to smell? Or? Not yet, but he's just. I mean, he's stinky to begin with. He's but. still just he just got that one hand on the corner there, and <laughs> like he was mid sentence. Like it's a real page turn of that book, stinky. I would joke Nothing. more with him, but I'm I'm a little worried. Uh, so word as well. Just keep it on. Just don't even look over. That's what I say. Continue on. But we're going to give away fifteen stinky bucks. Fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. That's a whole shirt. My $15. God! You just pay shipping and handling. Fifteen ninety-five shipping and handling. That's just like the infomercials. Did you see these? Well, we can't talk about that now. You get fifteen bucks and stinky bucks to use as you will in the pro store. Incredible. Uh, and as you know, the pro store is now stacked, expanding. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, three designs in there now, so you can use the fifteen bucks, stinky bucks, for anything you like. All you need to do is put your name in an email and send it to contest at wetalkgames.com. That's Can't how get simple. Any easier. <laughs> if you get this wrong, then you lose. And even if you put a wrong name in, we'll still count it. Very good. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, enter now. Right enter now. now and often, although even if you do enter often, uh, it'll only be counted once. Correct. Once per household, but enter as often as you like. It Kyle, stay on the line, and we'll bring you back in for the forum. I'll be holding my breath. Right on. Kyle Von Kubik, Kyle Von Kubik of We Talk Games and Heroes of Gravitron, Eric Alex chipping in, and also TT, thank you very much for that. Hey, man, let's get Hawaii on the line. Let's do this. Hank Rogers, oh, this is exciting for me. Joining us from the most beautiful place on the planet Earth, Hawaii. Hawaii, go. The handsome Hank Rogers. Hank, thanks for being on the show today. 
You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, you're one of the reasons we're having you on is because you're the most buff man in video game entertainment today. Buff? Yeah. <laughs> now, how would you know that? Uh, I saw you uh, in that that uh, that uh, great BBC documentary, Tetris from Russia with Love. Yeah, but I I didn't show any of my non-existent abs in that uh, interview. <laughs> uh, maybe they airbrushed them on later in post. I don't know their technology there. <laughs> We thought it would would be great to have you on for our listeners because of your pivotal involvement with the video game drama of Intrigue uh, that Tetris was and to help celebrate the 25th anniversary of Alexei Pajipnov's Tetris. But before we delve into that, I'm very interested in clearing up a bit of the history of BPS because I know that you used to be involved with Bulletproof Software and and I later found out that you, you started that in Japan. And now you have Blue Planet software, both BPS. You evidently wanted to save on the monogram towels. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about how Bulletproof and, and Blue Planet all came about? Okay, so I was in, uh, in Japan in 1983 when personal computers that were able to play games first came out. Right. And I decided that I would uh, uh, follow my college passion, which is playing Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> And uh, my major, which was computer science, and I made the first role-playing game in 1984, I mean, 83. I tried to find a publisher. It was unsuccessful. Well, actually, SoftBank, at the time, a distributor of of, uh, computer games and computer software, uh, told me, you know, all you need to do is have your wife answer the phone, make your own company. So um, at the time, Japanese companies were snapping up acronyms like ASCII, or login, or whatever, for names of companies, or magazines. Right. And BCS is still not taken, that's bits per second. Yeah. Now, but that would be a lasting uh, acronym, and it's still, in fact, people still talk about BPS. I picked Bulletproof Software because I thought I was going to do business software, which I never did. That Bulletproof Software, I, I wrote the first cu- couple of games. It was the number one game in 1984, and uh, then I realized I couldn't program day and night like I was did when I was younger. And uh, I started traveling around the world looking for games to bring to Japan. I see. And so I'd travel to uh, London, to uh, Chicago, to uh, Vegas. And it was in Vegas in 1988 at the Consumer Electronics Show that I first saw Tetris. Right, right. And uh, I will, I'll catch people up a little bit on uh, what all went down if they're not familiar with the drama. It's 1984, Iron Curtain, Cold War, Communists, Russia, it's all happening, it's all still in full effect. Out of Moscow's computer center, which was a very serious, military-oriented, space-oriented, number-crunching computer think tank organization, comes Alexei Pajanov's digital pentominoes-inspired puzzle game. It's distributed underground, overground, but only within Russia. And, uh, you know, this is all property of state. There's no capitalism involved here. Robert Stein sees this in, in a Hungarian machine in, in the back room somewhere, and he brokers the game to Marisoft. The Russian government agency Elorg steps in. They contact Stein and Marisoft and inform them that they've been selling their game illegally. Stein gets Elorg to sign off on licensing for the game for the Mac and the PC. Marisoft approaches Atari Tengen for video game console release and distribution. In 1988, you see Tetris running at an Atari booth at a tech show, and you secure the Japanese PC and Japanese video game distribution rights for Tetris. Somewhere along the line, though, Elorg wasn't getting their royalties. 
And then in 1989, Nintendo was getting ready to launch their Game Boy, and uh, they wanted Tetris as a pack-in. And what were your connections at the time to Nintendo that they knew to come to you to, as like a broker or, or whatever you would consider yourself? Uh, how did they know yeah. to come to you? Well, I, first of all, I was the one who brought uh, Tetris to Nintendo in Japan as a publisher first. Right, right. And so, so Nintendo Japan, knew, by that time, they knew me very well. I had a personal relationship with Mr. Yamauchi in Japan. But also I had a relationship with Nintendo of America at the time because, uh, of all things, I sold them two million joysticks. Oh. It was, uh, you know, a side business. I'm not in the hardware business, but they bought them, and uh, I had somebody manufacture them, and it worked out. So I became good friends with Mr. Arakawa, and it was with Mr. Arakawa that I negotiated the deal for the packing of Tetris on Game Boy. At the time, it was really fuzzy because, uh, because there were a lot of people claiming that they had rights and they had connections and so on and so forth. In fact, I had had a uh, letter of intent for various uh, platforms on, of Tetris, which it turned out those, the people that tried to sell them to me didn't actually have those rights. Right. Uh, so I said I would get on a plane, I would go to Moscow, and uh, that's exactly what I did in February of 1989. And you went to Moscow during a time when communism was in full effect. This was a socialist oh, yeah. government. This was not a free market or enterprise or anything like this. There was a lot of mistrust of, of foreigners. And you just show up without an appointment. I, I find this just an amazing bit of this, of this drama. I mean, it's, it's such a thick mystery. But Two things help me here. Uh, one is my... Uh passion for computer games, and, and this was just, for me, another adventure game, you know, go in there, talk to such and such a person, get such and such a hint, and then go someplace else, talk, talk to another person. So I was in the game. That's uh, but the other thing was, I, <laughs> I was just naive. I didn't know what you weren't supposed to do, so I just got, I went there on a tourist visa, knocked on the door, and I, I mean, those guys collectively choked, because nobody knocks on the door. Yeah. And in fact, there was, there was an investigation afterwards as to how the hell did I manage to get into the country and knock on that door? Because, you know, I'm not supposed to do any... I don't have the right to knock on doors if I'm in, in Moscow. Sure. But I did. Especially a company that specialized in, in science, uh, computer number crunching for space and war type of projects. They were the designated ministry for exporting software, which in their entire history, I don't think all of the rest of the business that they did amounted to the amount of business they did with Tetris. Oh, sure, sure. Now, you had originally tried to go through Robert Stein to get the license rights for the Game Boy, but then when you felt like he was giving you the runaround, he wasn't returning your calls, you decided to get on a plane, you went to Moscow yourself, you talked to Nikolai Belikov, and Nikolai Belikov accepted your offer for the console and handheld rights. And this ended up getting Nikolai Belikov in a little bit of hot water with the Russian government. Well, Nikolai Belikov was, uh, you know... In the short term, he was in a little bit of hot water, and the hot water was that Kevin Maxwell, who's the son of Robert Maxwell, if you remember him, he is the owner of the Mirror Group who spent $5 billion of his uh, employees' pension funds and jumped off the boat. Yeah. So at that, time, at that time, Kevin Maxwell was in Moscow on the same week that I was there, saying, give me the rights to, the, to uh, Game Boy Tetris. And so they were trying to, you know, backdoor me. Sure. And, um, and his method of operation was, you will listen to me because I've got the Politburo in my pocket. I mean, my dad wrote 
Gorbachev's memoirs, you know, if you know what's good for you. In fact, his dad had KGB connection, for Christ's sake. Wow. It turned out that he, 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 uh, he burned a KGB for a pilot, pilot dosh at the end of the day. I mean, he didn't just lose his, his uh, employees' money. He also lost, lost a bunch of KGB money. At that time, there, a serious pressure came from the Politburo to, on to Mr. Belikov. What the hell are you doing? And to the point where nobody in his ministry or in, in, in the law, Electronic Technica, that was the name of the ministry, was talking to him. He was like a dead man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he managed to get through it. So I got to give him credit for that. You know, he, uh, he stuck it through because it was a, you know, it was perestroika and glasnost. And Gorbachev has said, you know what, I, I want people to go and start businesses and do things, you know, in a different way, not just, you know, political pressure from the top. And... He took that to heart and got away with it. And I think it, it, it comes through in a documentary that it was the fact that you were coming at it at, from a more honest approach. And you also befriended Alexei. How did that come about? So in the, okay, so I walked into a lord and I met, I met somebody coming down the stairs. Turned out that was Mr. Delikoff. And I said, I'd like to meet with uh, some people from a lord to talk about the licensing Tetris for... Game Boy, and uh, I showed him my my Nintendo 8-bit Japanese box, and he said, he looked at it and said, we never licensed Tetris on a console, by the way. And I'm going, I'm, I'm like choking, you know, <laughs> shoot, here I am in Ros- in um, Soviet Union, I'm, the, I'm pirate number one uh, of their intellectual property, what are they going to do, send me to a gulag? <laughs> anyway, the next day, there was a meeting, and I, I made it the next day, because I figured they needed to get whoever they needed to get into the room, otherwise I would be talking to the wrong people. And, and in that next meeting, Alexei was there. And guess what? I mean, uh, a room full of commies and two game designers. I mean, we, <laughs> we had something to talk about immediately. Sure, sure. I don't think Alexei had ever met uh, a game designer from another country before. And so we immediately hit it off. Fantastic. Tetris and the Game Boy, I mean, how perfectly did those two technologies go together? Oh, uh, they were, that was perfect. I mean, you, you, you can't imagine a better coupling. I mean, Game Boy made Tetris, and Tetris made Game Boy. Nintendo and I have been best friends ever since as a result of, of that deal. 30 million packed-in copies of Tetris. It's, on Game Boy. Uh, yeah, I, I, in fact, with with that black and white Game Boy, the, the original or the original four four tones, I guess it was. Uh, I don't think there's there's any better title except maybe Faceball Two Thousand. <laughs> oh my gosh! How did you dig that one up? Uh, that, oh. I, I remember reading the mags, and I mean that that had a lot of play. That that was a really pushed title by a lot of the the video game mags at the time, and that was that was under the BPS label as well. Well, it was a, the, the, the problem with it is Nintendo went with the wrong, what do you call it, cable. They, they, their docking system was to have a little hub in the middle between four Game Boys, and you all plug into the hub. And what the hub did was send an interrupt to all the Game Boys and say, give me information now. And so you get this, this interrupt happening, I don't know how many times per second. Well, it slowed the game down ridiculously. We had our own system which was a daisy chain system, which said, basically, when you get a signal from the guy to your left, you process it, then you send it off to the guy to your right. And this daisy chain system meant that you could have, I don't know, 10 people in a circle all playing the same game. Wow. Much faster than the, with the little stupid hub. And so we never, 
I mean, multiplayer games just never took off on Game Boy as a result. Yeah, it was it was pretty much uh, limited to two. I think that was that was the most you could get out of that. Uh, you also had a lot of other uh, very prominent titles, including one of my favorite games for the Super Famicom. And I'm just I have no idea why this has never been brought to the virtual console or at least some other platform. And that is Tetris Battle Gaiden. Tetris Battle Gaiden is very interesting. Um, you know, we tried to make a, a game, a, a Tetris game for gamers mm-hmm. by adding adding magic items. And magic items, there were, I think there were six or seven different characters you could play, and each character had two attack items and two defense items. And so who you, who you played against who, you know, so it would, it would change the way the game gets played. Oh, yeah. Those magic items resurfaced. A lot of those magic items resurfaced in Korea uh, when uh, NHN or Han Game uh, did Tetris on uh, online, up to six players. Okay. And again, there, there, are, there are magic items involved, and you capture the magic item, then you get to use them against one of the other five players. So that those ideas are not gone. They're just sleeping a little bit. And it was kind of a core game because... You know, for an ordinary person like a like a housewife, who, you know, by the way, that's our core demographic. That's a lot of stuff to remember. <laughs> right, you know, right. remember is no problem. But uh, uh, the simplicity of Tetris, you know, that you don't have to remember things that are not happening on the screen at the moment. I mean, that is the beauty of the game. Uh, so the magic items, yes, they are very. They appeal to gamers, but that's. A, uh, a smaller subset of our core demographic or or our core player. I see, and and now I do see that uh, that EA is involved. How is that relationship working out? Oh, it's great. You know, I'm. By the way, I'm I'm pretty good at relationships. I'm still good <laughs> friends with Nintendo after having worked with them for twenty years. I mean, that's what that's what business is all about: is creating and maintaining relationships. What what happened was around two thousand and one, actually. Uh, I, I was looking for a licensee for mobile phones, and th- the numbers that I was getting out of the U.S. market were kind of ridiculously small. I mean, like, more than an or- order of magnitude smaller than the, the deals that I was pulling out of Japan. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking, there's something wrong here. People just don't get what's going to happen, because it was already happening in Japan. Right. So I said, well, shoot, you know, if people don't get it collectively, that means there's a business opportunity. And I started my own company, and at that time... Here in Hawaii, started a company called Blue Lava Wireless, and uh, it was a game, company making games for mobile phones. Three years into it, um, we had the number one game in the space, uh, and uh, Jamdat had gone public. You know Jamdat? I've heard of them, yes. I remember seeing their logo on a lot of my mobile games. Yeah, so Jamdat uh, went public, and basically all the money they had and all the stock they could give me, they gave me so they could get my company and Tetris. I see. What I actually got was a 15-year license to Tetris. And uh, then a year into that, well, they bought me, they bought my company. A year into that, Electronic Arts bought them. And so Electronic Arts became our licensee. Oh, very good. Fantastic. Great. So a big fish eating a small fish, a medium-sized fish eating a small fish, and then a gigantic fish eating a medium-sized fish. <laughs> Well, that, that's uh, quite fitting, I guess, if you're surrounded by fish. <laughs> and with that, is there anything big on the horizon? Yeah, well, you know, I'm look, by the way, uh, when I look outside my office here, I'm, what I'm looking at is Honolulu Harbor. I see Aloha Tower, and I see a, a horizon uh, to die for. 
on mm. my window. Mm-hmm. And what I see on that horizon is I see professional Tetris players, or professional video game players. And uh, I think Tetris, because of the way it has evolved, most video games have come and gone and, and are, are but memories. Tetris has been around for 25 years now. Yeah. And so it's taken on the a, a whole different and a different existence from other video games. And so uh, I think it's the first virtual sport. So we are expecting to have Tetris Cup, uh, Tetris Cups in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a few times a year, or maybe every weekend, like the like the PGA, and then have professional Tetris players duke it out and uh, and have it be you know hopefully someday in the Olympics. Because it's it is a sport. It's a com- uh, it's a competitive competitive activity, mm-hmm. and uh, why shouldn't mental activity fall into that category? Yeah, agreed. Uh, that's something I think we always try to focus on on We Talk Games. At least I hope that we do. How what we once considered traditional classical video gaming has truly blurred any lines to what it was once associated with and now has become part of the human condition. And I am i always find it an incredible pleasure when I find out new things via these interviews that I had no idea about before. When I always thought about Hank Rogers, I thought, you know, here's this really, really friendly, outgoing, and honest salesman, if you will. But to know that you came up into the video game industry via a passion for video game programming, and you actually programmed yourself, made a lot of games, made a lot of successful games, and now continue that passion, trying to bring great titles to the rest of the world. That's when I truly understand I am involved with something special. So thank you, Hank Rogers, for being a part of We Talk Games. Tell Al Harrington I said hello, and uh, thank you again for joining <laughs> <laughs> That's way before my time. I've only lived here seven seven years. Okay. All but, right. Well, but I'll find him and I'll say hello to him for you. <laughs> say hello. Exactly. Right on, man. <laughs> okay. Thank you so very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, and aloha from Hawaii. Bye now. Bye. That man is handsome. No doubt about it. And I can't go on enough about him. I mean, Hawaii, uh, Tetris Battle Guy then. Going to Russia, just like I'm, I'm going there. It's just, it's this. It writes itself. It's amazing stuff. Hey, we got a new guy coming on. Let's get this guy on. Lumberton, New Jersey, go! I got to introduce myself, I guess. Yeah. I'm Wiggly Tito, everyone. Oh, hey, welcome to the We Talk Games. Uh, thanks for having me on. What you been playing? I've been playing the Beatles Rock Band. It is a music game for all the major systems. Uh, developed by harmonics and MTV games. Yeah, I heard of this. This is like a game show, like Buzz, and it's played with androids. Yes, Paul McCartney's an android. Oh, right, okay, because that's what that's what the Beatles told me anyway. So, what do you do? Like, have cards and you deal them out, and then you pick the high card, and then you roll a dice, and then uh, the Beatles pop up. Yeah, then, then Ringo Starr comes out, and and then there's a guy no like he's, he's going up a mountain. He's going, old lady, old lady, old lady, old lady, old lady. You don't want him to fall off. Uh, yeah, you you can't go over on the price. Okay, very good. Now, what do we got here? Now, this is a this is a game that I was on the fence on about getting. Well, of course, I wanted to get the special bundle. Finally, I was able to uh, sell like all of my Wii games, and I uh, got it for thirty eight bucks. Uh, the the deluxe kit. What do you call that? Special edition or whatever. Special. Super awesome edition. Yeah. So, uh, so what do we got here? 
Hit me. All right, it, it's the usual rock band gameplay where you play as drums or guitar, bass, or vocals. Okay. Uh, there's John Lennon in there, George Harrison, Paul McCartney, and Ringo Effenstar, and uh, you elbow drop tanks off the top of buildings. Well, that's good. Yeah, it sounds like a game I've heard before. <laughs> I have never heard of that. But you could really do that, I guess. Yes, if you level up high enough. I see, I see. Okay, very good. Probably doesn't work against a blue meanie, though. Oh. Once you get to that no, not level. Not big bosses, just the, the little right. girl fans that like to jump on you. Very good. Hey, like I said, it's <sighs> the usual rock band, but this has three-part vocal harmonies if you have three microphones, so if you want to have three people sing. Uh, it has 45 songs by all the Beatles in this game. There's a story mode. You go through some of their well-known venues, such as their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, Shade mm -hmm. uh, Stadium, and my personal favorites are the Abbey Road Dreamscapes. And you can play through any instrument throughout the story. You can't, it's like, you don't have to do guitar the whole time. You can be any instrument. Yeah, very good. I like to go through uh, as uh, Ringo. I've been going through as Ringo individually. Then when uh, Chiz uh, gets up and, and does it with me, then we, I play the bass and sing, and Chiz sings. Yeah, unfortunately, I only have one mic, so I can only do just me singing. And how does that turn okay. out? Uh, I'm not, I'm a terrible singer, so <laughs> okay. it doesn't end well. I me. see. Very good. I have the rock band two instruments still. Okay. I didn't buy the special edition super awesome bundle guitars. All right. Well, let me uh, let me tell you about it since it says in parentheses I can talk about my special instruments here. Uh, all right. I, <laughs> first of all, when you, if, when you get the special edition. The box is humongous. It looks like I, you're getting a tent for eight people in a, in a giant box. The it's box bigger is than the Rock Band 2 box? I don't know. Maybe. I think it is. I think it's a little bit bigger because, uh, I don't know, <coughs> perhaps because of the base. You open it up. And, whoa. Whoa. Of course, if, whoa, it falls all over the place. And you get the Hofner base. That's the first cool thing, except this Hofner base has a tremolo bar on it, otherwise known as a whammy bar by the kids. All the kids are running around seven, saying that from the 1930s. So you have that, and you also will notice that unlike the Fender Precision Bass, which was released by, uh, who did that, Mad Cats or... Um uh, yeah, Mad Cats. Mad Cats brought that brought out the Fender bass, which was a very large, larger than the guitar's bass, which is how a bass should be, except for the Hofner, which was a smaller, uh, scaled down size bass to begin with, which is nice because you can really run the fretboards. Although you won't be doing that in, in this game, but the the Fender Precision bass had the split strum bar or whatever you want. I call it a pluck bar because I like to pluck the magic twanger froggy, of course, because I'm a bass player. So as a bass player, I really loved the fact that you would uh, strum this deal. But being that the Hofner bass has a pick shield, a pick guard, uh, then I guess Hofner thought you were going to pick your bass, which what bass player picks your bass, that's what I need to know. Not a real bass player, that's for sure. Uh, but, and like I said, the Hofner bass also has, so it only has one strum bar and it has the, um, the whammy, the tremolo bar as well. But it, it is a very responsive bass. It's nice. It's very quiet, of course, uh, like many of the official rock band instruments. And they did take a long time to do this, I guess, uh, recreate the wood feel and everything else, which just gets fingerprints on it immediately, so it just becomes a big blurry mess anyway. Uh, but it's, it's a nice bass. You really feel like you are Paul McCartney when you're playing that bass, no doubt about it. But it, it did start putting indents in my hand, in my palm, from trying 
because it doesn't have like a, a, a thumb rest or anything because it's an authentic Hofner. So where do you put your thumb when you're trying to pluck it? I guess they want you to strum it. I don't do that. So wow. we got that. Now we also have the... He, what's that? I think he, he does the... Uh, I don't think he plucks. He does the regular strum. No, he he plucks and he and he uses a pick sometimes, but but uh, he he definitely plucks. He's definitely a twanger as well. Now he's not he's not a funky uh, um, what do you call that? Funky flinger. Yeah, funky flinger. You know he's. Not <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, he doesn't do the funky flingers. He's not a Bootsy Collins. He's not a he's not a uh, mud hole. My name is Mud guy. He's not like one of those. But he does. He definitely uses his fingers every now and again. He doesn't slap his bass. He doesn't slap his bass. That's what I'm looking for. Bass slapper, not funky twanger, twizzler, diddler. It also comes with built-in audio and video synchronization. Your screen flashes. The bass looks at your screen. It knows whether it should put on a delay or a pre-delay. It also can listen. It, you hold it up to the ear hole of it, the speaker system, and whammo, it knows if it should put on a delay or pre-delay on the audio. This also comes with a wireless drum set. It is in the style of Ringo Starr's Black Pearl Finish Ludwig, and it is a wireless drum kit. And then, of course, you just get a drum pedal like the regular rock band drum pedals, but it has sort of the tinnish looking Beatles impression on it. The raised uh, Beatles burnisting. I don't even think that's a real word. But it has that, and then you get a windsock that says the Beatles on it that is incredibly wrinkly uh, after you unfold it from the uh, rock band kit. So you get a wrinkly windsock that goes in, that you're supposed to clothespin to the front of your drum kit. Um, so that's good. That's nice. But it is nice that it's a wireless kit. Of course, it doesn't have symbols, but you can add them because it does support the symbols, which is nice. The greatest bonus with this is, number one, well, you get some postcards, so that's kind of cool, uh, of the original Beatles uh, postcard whatever gimmicks. But you get a microphone and a mic stand, and I think the whole key to this game is having the mic stand and, of course, playing the guitar or the bass and singing while you're doing this game, because that's what all the Beatles did. They all played and sung simultaneously. So I think playing and singing is the key to this rock band. But what was your experience? Well, like I said, I'm still using the rock band two instruments. Okay. Uh, the only problem with the, the wireless drums is, like, the batteries always drain quick on them. Oh, okay. So That's because yeah, you uh, play like Keith Moon. Right. Who's going to get the Who first? <laughs> I mean, is Rock Band going to get the Who, or is is uh, Guitar Hero going to do the Who? I think Rock Band already has Who. They already have Who, but they don't have the Who Rock Band. Only a bunch of their downloadable. Oh, I see. And I guess at the end, you kick your drums over, and they all blow up. All right, go. Where was that? I usually play guitar and bass when I'm playing these kind of games. On uh, I play them on expert, but it's not really all that challenging compared to the last two Rock Band games. Okay. Uh done a little singing like i mentioned i'm a terrible singer so it doesn't sound always that good right and i only have one mic i played a little bit of drums so far it's pretty simple on hard hmm. nothing real fantastic you're not doing the metal type drumming no but there are some unusual drum uh drummings going on on some of the songs Do you get blisters on your fingers no not at all no, but there there are some unusual drum beats when they get more into the Indian sitar, the trippy things, the, the places that you like in the Yellow Submarine uh, areas and things like that, the Abbey Road Studios. 
Yeah, I didn't get that far yet. Oh, okay, but, um, okay, very good. Okay. But uh, um, the only the only thing I didn't like about it, of course, is just like with any Rock Band game, uh, when you do it on the easier mode, you're not really playing what is being played on screen. So I want to do the double bass drum hits and the triple things and the quadruplets and the paradiddles and stuff like that, and you can't because it's making you do a simple drum pattern over what over top of what you're hearing, and that throws me off a bit. Yeah, so one hit every two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's not all that challenging, uh, they're all very fun to play. Mm-hmm. Like, all the guitar stuff's fun. Like, uh, what's that one song? Helter Skelter, that can be pretty fun. Oh, yeah, sure, I bet. I haven't gotten there yet. Everything in the game it looks very good. Uh, it's the rock band style with all the Beatles avatars and the crowd. Like, there's girls in the crowd here, and that looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, evidently uh, only girls like the Beatles. That's one thing I did notice. It's the same four character models that love them, too. There's no dudes. Only only ladies. Now, I, I don't know why they, this didn't come with a pink Hoffner base instead of the the uh, traditional wood grain one. Oh, that, that would have sold like hotcakes. Mm. Hey, it did wonders uh, for the PSP. The Fuchsia Hannah Montana PSP. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, all the venues and the character models, they're all recreated very well. Mm. Like I said, my favorite part is all the dreamscapes. Uh, I love Yellow Submarine, so I, I just loved how that whole look during the song. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there isn't a mode where you can just watch the backgrounds, but you turn on performance mode that like hides all the note highways and put on no fail mode okay. and just not doing anything. You can just watch it that way, but you might get that little like sound when the guitar is supposed to strum. <laughs> so like, okay, that plays over and it's gonna be annoying. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I'm just really impressed with all the work they put into this game, like all the research they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned on the Wiggly World of Media forums mm-hmm. that. I think they put more work into this game than any uh, Guitar Hero offshoot game combined. Yeah, they really have. They really have. It looks great. Uh, it's looks not fantastic. like a reskin rock band. No, definitely not. Now, uh, a lot of people are complaining that the song they don't like how the songs don't cross over with the main rock band game. Hmm. I don't think it's a problem. It makes the game feel more special. And I don't. I wouldn't like my little rock band people playing Beatles songs. It just seems more exclusive that way. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? There's there's a there's a large library to choose from there, uh, and a lot of different genres that the Beatles went through. They started off like, "Hey, we're four Elvises, look at us," and they got more into their wacky stuff and whatever '60s music became and stuff like that. So there is a lot of different styles of music to play just in this one game. Plus, they got a uh, downloadable content coming for it, so Very that good. should add more to the experience. Right. Unfortunately, the story mode is very short took me about three hours to beat it, just hmm. the main story, because like, all the songs are like three minutes long anyway. Mm-hmm. They are uh, you can play through the songs again uh, to get like all the unlockables in the movies. Like There's a really cool the Christmas album. They put that in there. Hmm. Like, the Christmas album they sent out to their fans. You can unlock that and listen to it. Okay, very good. I only go on to the next song once I get five stars in each song. So I guess you didn't do that, huh? You just... Oh, I didn't do that. Uh, I'd go back later. Very good, very good. Um, there's also the achievements you can go for. If you're like an achievement whore like me, you can go through and play all the challenges. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to expert gold all the songs, you can do that. If you're a Beatles fan, you'll probably love it because they've done everything very good mm-hmm. with this game. You can probably just get the Rock Band 2 bundle for 100 and then get the game for 60 rather than the uh, Special Edition Super Awesome bundle for, was it, 250 yeah, but if you put in the microphone, that's another thirty bucks, and a mic stand, it's like twenty bucks, and that's about it. So that so that's another little expense. So 
but I agree 100%. This is far too overpriced. Now, I'm sure they had to pay through the nose to get this licensing stuff. But to me, the way to experience this is, of course, you know, to go full out and get the wind stock, the kite and everything else and the mic stand and the little bass and everything like that. Um, I think that's really the way to go. But number one, it is too overpriced. Number two, the... They say that it works with all the rock band equipment. Well, I guess that they don't include the stage kit as part of the rock band equipment because it does not work with the stage kit. Now, I guess the Beatles never had lights on them. They only played in natural lighting, like on the Ed Sullivan. In the Ed Sullivan show, they just opened the drapes and natural sunlight came through on them. They never had lights on them. This is sad to me. This was very sad. So I say, well, I really need my fix. I, I love playing this. I love playing a rock band. And I will explain my full impressions of this, number one. Number one, this, when we put this in, Chiz and I did the singing. I played the bass and sang. We did two songs, Chiz sang. And this was the closest sensation that I've ever had, the same sensation I have when I play out live with Trapdoor. Now, I'm not trying to say that Trapdoor is like the Beatles or whatever. I mean, we move around and do a lot of stuff. But the sensation that I had playing with Chiz and singing simultaneously and the way that they've integrated the ambience of the arenas that you play, when you play Shea Stadium, you feel like you're in Shea Stadium. All the little nuances, as you mentioned before, are really there to really draw and drag you into this game. It was the first time I ever felt with plastic instruments in front of me that I was actually doing a live show for somebody. I don't know if you got that sensation. Not really. Okay, did you get stage fright? (laughs) I don't... No. Okay, very good. Well, anyway, I did. I, it was the first time I really... Maybe you need to play this with multiple people. Maybe this is a sensation that you do feel in the other rock bands, but I've never felt this in any of the other rock bands or guitar heroes. This is the first time I really felt that same type of live rush. And maybe it was because of my connection to this to this music. But even when I play like Thin Lizzy or something like that, that I really do care about as well, I still never had the same sensation. And this whole business about you can't play your other songs while you're in here... Listen, it was it's very easy. You you eject the disc, you put in a new disc, and you hit play, and then there you go. You're going. It's yeah, uh, really. it's no big deal. And the stage kit will work with your other gimmicks. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for doing the show for us. No problem, Wiggly. This is Ringo Starr saying peace and love, peace and love. You're an android! Wiggly Cito, of course, uh, Mike, Mike, everyone familiar with the Wiggly World of Media Message Boards and We Talk Games and all the podcasts I've been involved with have known Wiggly Cito for a long time. Great to have him finally show. Hey, Chiz! Chiz! Yes? Come here, Chiz. Uh, what's up? Oh, wait, hold on, let me, okay, set up the mic here. Hey, uh, now Wiggly Cito was uh, saying that he didn't get that same feeling of, like, being in a live thing, and I said, I, for seriously, for the really? first time ever, uh-huh. I had the sensation, same type of sensation. Now, not the exact same, the adrenaline rush and everything, but I had sort of that same type of stirring inside of me as I do when I stand, go on stage for uh-huh. a trapdoor show. Uh-huh. Didn't, did you get that feeling? I, I just did. don't know if I was out of my mind. Oh, no, okay, good. I, no, I did. Uh, right. um, I could explain why I had that feeling. I don't know. We didn't really chat about it, but, okay. um, well, for me, for one of the main things is, well, we had the stereo turned all the way up with the surround sound on. Not all the way up, but we well, had it up we to had like it up three, really, which is loud. We had it up, at one point, remember, I had said, do you think the neighbors are going <laughs> to are gonna yeah. say anything? And there was just this sensation 
Maybe it was the combination of Wiggly's big screen TV, the surround sound, but playing in the stadium and hearing the fans all around you, it just really felt true to life for me. And plus, mm-hmm. not to mention, I was singing vocals. Wiggly was on bass. And vocals. Uh, bass and vocals. And I, but I had the mic stand. It felt so realistic to me. No, you were holding the mic. I, I had the mic, mic stand. But then oh, when we played one? it another time. Oh, right. Oh, stand. I didn't know which one. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, yeah. we still got that same feeling. Mm-hmm. I think, so. No, I just, I really enjoyed it. And now all of a sudden I'm hooked on Beatles. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It I does. just, it's like it's uh, in my blood now and I can't get these songs out of my head. And uh, I, I can't wait to play. I can't wait to play it again. Yeah, it's good. Good game. Okay, yeah, thanks. Game. I just oh, wanted yeah, to okay. know. Thanks for All joining right. in on this. Thanks for having We're me. We're too stacked, you know. Yeah. I got to get going with other calls here. <laughs> All right, thanks. But See you, uh, thanks for your time because mm-hmm. I thought I was going out of my mind, but that was real. And you know what? Also, uh, you won't get blisters on your fingers uh, from doing the drums as long as you you have to go light on those drums. That's one thing. Now, uh, before you leave, yeah. Also, Noel was wondering, you know, should I get this? I'm uncoordinated. Now, you've played the guitar on yeah. other rock band. Yes, uh, on Rock Band Two and on Rock Band One and on Rock Band None, mm-hmm. you played the. You've even played the guitar and uh, how how did how do you think that is? I was okay. Yeah, you did good. I was okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really hard on myself. But I mean, you only did like one or two songs. Yeah, and, and I got you it. Did, yeah. yeah, you got it right away. So, how how much you, how coordinated do you think people really need to play this? You don't have to be that coordinated to and, play it. Yeah, and like I've always said before, it's, it's not like playing like, a real guitar. And it's but. just like two. Okay, take the completely unrelated game, but DDR. Mm-hmm. And I'm a dancer. I can't do that. Okay, yeah. you got people who can't dance yet they can master that game. Sure. So it's along the same lines. I've never played a guitar, yeah. but yet I could do. Well, you have to sort of unlearn. It's a different if it's it's a different learning set. But as Rational Eyes says, it does help you on runs. It can help you coordinate your eye hand coordination for like reading notes if you do that. I don't do that, but that might help yeah. you get speedier. There's a disconnect going on. There's a problem going on between musicians and people that play rock band and <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a big argument. Yeah. I don't think there's there's there doesn't have to be any discourse unless you want to be some type of cranky person. You can be a drummer. You have to sort of unlearn that, try to see what they want you to do on screen. And it's a game. It's a video game. There's different skill sets involved. And quite the opposite of what some people are saying. I know people, I know kids that are, that got their first guitar because they got interested in rock band. They wanted to get a real guitar. Okay. Thanks, Shizzy. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Let's see how that, what happened at that PAX there. Keith, open the line. Portland, Oregon. John Seiler, go! Hey! Hey, John, it's great I'm to have going. you on. Now, I hear that you were out at the PAX. The Paxel. The, the Penny Arcade. <laughs> oh, you were, uh, you, you began to uh, whisper out there. Yes, the Penny Arcade Expo. So, uh, I'm you, losing my voice with this show. It's stacked, by the way. So, I heard that you met our. You <laughs> met, right here. And now, what do you got? You have the swan, you PAX flu or something. Yeah, it it was actually like the last game I played. It's called the Pax Flu. It kind of lingers on for about a good week. Well, fluorific. Now I heard that you met our buddy Grant Henry out there. I did. I actually didn't see Metro Mel because I think a bunch of friends wanted me to go out and hang out with them for the night. I see. But I didn't meet him the next day. Really nice guy. Picked up uh, Metroid Mel. I don't think I've ever played like any of the original Metroids, mm. but like I really like that CD. Very good. I've been, been playing pretty much nonstop since then. Oh, great, great. And I guess Friday night you had to go out to Madame Trousseau's Wax Museum and see Captain Kurt. <laughs> yeah, 
like that was a huge deal breaker because I was like, man, I gotta go pack, gotta go to the wax museum. <laughs> So. You got to go to Ripley's, believe it or not. Except you got to get in a time machine, probably go to that. Now, what was was this? A, you know, were there like three vendor booths? I mean, what was this? It was pretty much like the mecca of like gaming culture. Like, Very good. So it was this huge convention center, about five to six floors, full of you know, pretty much anything you can think of. Like there was magic, there was console rooms, there was everything from like Sega Saturns to. The current gen systems, there was little playrooms for, like, rock band. There was, like, tabletop stuff. It was anything you could think of you could do there. I, I only, like, kind of, like, walked through the uh, the console room, like, every so often. Okay. Um, but, like, I spent most of my time on the main floor. That's where, like, most of the stuff was going on for those couple days. Like, what did they have? Like, uh, guest speakers? Did they have tournaments? Well, they had, like, a Street Fighter tournament that I was a part of. They also had, like, Smash Bros. and a couple other stuff. They had, like, little um, panels and guest speakers that you can go through. Um, I went to the 1-Up and the Giant Bomb panel. Okay. And the Harmogs panel. Now... Uh, Will Wheaton was a guest speaker at the end, which was pretty cool. Will Wheaton. Okay, very good. Well, why wouldn't he be? And now, did you see anything there that really struck your fancy? There were a couple games I saw that I really enjoyed. The very first thing I played, I... You know, just straight beeline to is No More Heroes 2. Oh, okay. Very good. I personally think that, like, No More Heroes 1 is, like, one of my favorite operation games. Yeah. So I went and, that was, that was, like, the first thing I went and saw. It's still pretty crazy and, you know, kind of got the, the style of the first game. It was pretty much you going and fighting the very first boss of No More Heroes 2. Guy that had, uh, he's been in a couple videos so far. He's got, like, a boombox that turns into these giant gauntlets. Okay. I've uh, seen, like, really creative, like, boss fights of, like, the past games, but, you know, a little bit more. The ca- oh, like, some of the stuff that I kind of found problems with is, like, the cameras were kind of off, mm-hmm. and some of the graphics looked a little blocky, but, like, that game doesn't come out till January, so, like, I imagine a lot of it will probably be fixed up by then. <laughs> Keep imagining. <Hopefully. laughs> Man, I'm hoping. Okay. Um, the other game I had a lot of fun playing down there is Bayonetta. Okay, what's um, this about? It's uh, from, it's a second game from Platinum Games. Uh, they're known for doing Mad World for the Wii. Okay. And it's basically by the guy who created Devil May Cry. And, like, this is him, like, say, like, he was like, oh, well, you know, Devil May Cry and God of War, like, they don't, you know, do all that great of a job, so I'm going to make something that, you know, pushes, like, the character action game forward. So he made this game called Bayonetta, where you play as this witch who shoots down angels with guns in her feet. Okay, that happens. Yeah. The game looks really good. Just the animations of the character while she walks or handles the gun or how she fights is done so well and so fun to watch. I played it like a couple other character action games like Dante and God of War 3 mm-hmm. and a couple others, and... I think Bayonetta, hands down, is the best of all of them. Wow, like, now... I, I can't be more excited for that game. Wow, and what system is that for? It's for the 360 and the PS3. Okay, very good. And well, also coming out in January. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. All right, man, anything else that you want to say about PAX? Just that, you know, it's kind of like a must thing that you have to go see every year. They just are going to start doing one in the, in the spring called PAX East, and that one's going to be in Boston. 
Yeah. Uh, a couple of friends want me to go pack Boston with them, so I'm kind of thinking about going and seeing that. But, like, you know, either if you're on the West Coast or East Coast, like, I cannot recommend highly, you know, higher than you, you need to go to PAX. Right it's on, man. experience. Right on. Well, hey, you never know. We Talk Games might have a table there because next month we're going to start our con tour. Really? Yeah! So uh, tune into that in October. And not only that, but check out the new Pro Gear. Wow! All right, man, I'm yelling. Huh? Okay. Right. Hey, John. Uh, hey, thanks. Well, it was great being on your show. Thank you so much. Hey, I hope you get your head fixed. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. John Seiler, great to hear from him. Great to finally hear from him. How's uh, Stink doing? Still, uh, still just, uh, really enjoying that book, I guess we're going to say. Our first call to Japan. Let's get David Akers on. This is great. Clax. Numazu, Japan. Ohio. Ohio. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, well, I, I guess it's uh, morning over there. Here, it's right after the Dog Whisperer, which I'm glad I got to watch, but there it's 8.07. Right, right, 8.07. Fantastic. Uh, the reason that we have you on a show, number one, because you made one of the greatest games of all time, but uh, that's besides the point, but you share an entanglement with Tetris, Atari, Midway, and even Amiga programming. That's all come into play over the past two episodes of We Talk Games. And you're most well-known for what might have been considered a plan B at the time, I don't know, but you turn that opportunity into one of the most fun action puzzle, instantly cross-platform, award-winning, and successful titles of all time. I think I named everything that it was. And perhaps, um, best of all, it was something new. Uh, so what I'd like to know right now, start right off... Um, we we had uh, Hank Rogers on the show earlier. He was, of course, responsible for bringing Tetris to consoles and handheld devices. And uh, most of the Tetris drama was brought up, brought to light by the BBC documentary Tetris from Russia with Love. But we didn't hear anything from what was going on behind the scenes at Atari. And you, now you were working for Atari at the time, right. right? And what was it like behind the scenes from a programmer? What was going on with the programmers? What was going on from your point of view? Uh, well, Atari, we believed we had bought the rights to a Tetris. Right. And so we made an a arcade version, and we made a home version. Very and, good uh, versions. The, the Tangan versions were two-player right out the door. Yeah. And the, yeah, the arcade version was very was a, a very nice version, and very fun to play, and it had a very, very inexpensive board. So it had really good profit margins for us. I see, I see. Now, were you a programmer at this time? Uh, I, I was a programmer. Okay. I came in. I joined the Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters team. Right. Great team. Great game. The next, oh, thank you. So next door to us was uh, uh, the Tetris team. So we kind of watched them. I see. Make this game in a short period of time. And then it was uh, it was very successful in the arcades. So after we finished Escape, we thought we want to do something quick like that. Sure, sure. Gotcha. But Mark Pierce, he's, he's just started drawing... Uh, different uh, pictures of a game, very colorful games without an idea of what the gameplay was. Just draw things that look like games. 
and then he ultimately he came out with the idea of clacks. Oh, okay. So it's like brainstorming, and I do this when I write songs. I'll just I'll write titles of songs, and maybe I'll breathe a song into there. So he was just coming up with game ideas, and how how for, fully along was it developed before you got involved? Because I mean, I play a lot of puzzle games. I have a pretty uh-huh. good imagination. I can envision a lot of odd things. Most puzzle games I could I could look at, and they, they make a lot of linear sense. But I would uh-huh. never have been able to envision that game scenario of clacks. There's a conveyor belt, domino-like tiles tumble down the conveyor instead of being conveyed down, I guess. Then you can stack your loading bin at the end of the belt and then drop the tiles trying to line up three of the same color. But you could also do five in a row and then even maybe the Reigns Revenge or something. Uh, But you could also do the five in a row and make combos or you could flip the tile back up if you don't like what's going on. And then there's the wild tile as well. And P.S., people will also be able to pick this up immediately and and understand it. How does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I went on vacation for a week and then Mark, the idea kind of formed in his mind, Mark Pierce. Okay. And, and so then when he came back, he told me about it, and he was going to go on vacation. Ah. Uh, so I, over the weekend, I pro- wrote a program in Amiga Basic so right just on. so I could play the game in a very blocky form. And then I showed that to Mark, and we tuned it a bit before he went on vacation. Okay. And he gave me a set of graphics I could use for the escape, um, escape uh, hardware. So while he was on vacation, I got it working. And as soon as I had a working version, people would come by the lab and start playing it. And so by the time Mark came back, there were people lined up, you know, playing the game in our lab. That's fantastic. It just comes off as a game that would have gone through multiple, multiple iterations before it became something like Clax. I mean, how, when when did the, the, the flip flinger come in that if you don't like a tile, flip it back up? How, when did that come along in the, this process? Well, I think uh, on the joystick, we had uh, left and right, moved you left and right, and down um, made it speed up. So we went, what do we do with up? I see. Kind of the, the last position. And we, because we had people coming to the lab every day, we would just try ideas, and we would quickly get feedback on it. And so people, people liked that idea. Although at first, at first we would throw the, throw the uh, tile all the way to the end of the ramp. Okay. And people got confused. They thought we'd thrown the tile away, and then all of a sudden, many tiles were coming at once. And they, well, what's this about? <laughs> I see, I see. And so marketing said, "Just get rid of this feature. It's too confusing." We knew as players that it was it was you know really cool. It was yeah. really an important part of the gameplay. So we we changed it to be halfway back, and then people could see the tile. Oh, that's the one I threw up there. Right on, right on, and and also putting in warps to the game, uh, and and the ability to to stack up five and and make these complex patterns to like clear the entire clax uh, uh, play section with just one dump of of the uh, the loading bin. Loading bin, yeah, okay. <laughs> How complex is? I mean, it's so complex, and yet you could pick it right up and play it. it it's 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 an odd juxtaposition, but I, I mean, how? yeah, we just discovered you could play it on different, many different levels. You could just try to make threes in a row and and, and meet whatever the goal was, right. or you could do these patterns. Very good. Well, just as simple as that is is how it came along, and of course, uh, like you said, you, you programmed this in just a little over a few weeks, I guess. Well, we, we got it working over a few okay. weeks, and then 
uh, what they did at that time is we would build a custom hardware for every arcade game so we could have the minimum number of components. Gotcha. And and so they once once they approved the project, then they redesigned the hardware, and then we had to move everything over to the new hardware. Now, you mentioned that other employees would stop down and play this. We hear this a lot with very addicting puzzle games, people <laughs> going off their breaks, coming down, and just wasting their time playing these games. Uh, did any other game developers stop down to play it? Just about everybody would come over at, at lunchtime or other free time and play the game. And so people people got really good, and they developed some patterns. Okay. Uh, yeah, like Lyle Rains, from, who had done Asteroids, uh, he, he had... Uh, he made a whole bunch of patterns, and he he wrote a, a memo about describing the different patterns and how to get the highest score on clacks. Ah, and that was Range Revenge. And one of my favorite parts about clacks has to be the sound, the sound samples. In fact, the rumor is that you named the game after hearing the sounds that the tile made as they were tumbling down the board. Yeah, we thought it would click. Click, clack, click, clack, click, clack was our vision of how it would sound. I see, I see. Okay, and any other interesting stories about the implementation of the sound chip for this game? Yeah, well, at the time, we had a standard sound board. Okay. And it, it could have as many as three chips. There was a FM chip that played music. Sure. And then a sound effects chip that did digitized sounds. And then a, there was a talking chip that did a, a robotic voice. That was a, usually a separate board, but we were going to put all those. We we're going to put the sound on the one board to make it very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they told us you you could only have one of the chips. Oh. You could have uh, you could have music or you could have sound effects. And so we we talked it over and we decided it would be more fun to have the digitized sound effects. Definitely. And how did the the sound recording go? Now those are samples. That's not speech synthesis. That was actually samples, or was it speech synthesis? It was samples. Okay. And any good stories about the the lady that recorded the samples? Or yeah, a, a friend of our our sound engineer. And she oh, okay. had a very nice. She had a very nice voice, and so he would he would try to use her whenever possible. I think. Okay. Any other any other games that you could recall that she was part of? The Stun Runner, I think. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, great, great. I remember one day uh, they just uh, Mark went through the halls and just gathered anyone who wasn't busy, and we all went into the sound room and we did the crowd right, sounds, right? The claps and the awes and stuff like that. And I've I've been liberally mm-hmm. putting those samples in between bits of this interview, uh, which you will be able oh, to hear great. post. <laughs> Did Atari know that they they were going to have this massive hit on their hands? Did they they go aggressively at this? I mean, obviously, this game also has seen more system releases than just about any other title. I mean, first first it came out for all uh, the the consoles at the time, three major consoles at the time: the NES, the Genesis, Turbo Graphics sixteen. Then it was released also for the Master System, the Atari seven hundred. It has the distinction of being recognized as the last official twenty six hundred title. Uh, it was released for the Lynx, Game Gear, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Computer Systems, and then later as part of Midway's uh, Treasure releases for the PlayStation, the Xbox, the GameCube, the PS2, and the PSP. Yeah. It's wow. Unbelievable, all the different systems, yeah. I guess, I guess we'd had a, uh, we had a string of, like, not-hit games, and so they really <laughs> needed a hit at that time, so. Well, they got it. They got it. They were, they were behind us, yeah. Well, then again, you know, it it it, it was the 90s, and... and uh, it was time. It was time for clacks. 
No doubt yeah. about it. How yeah, did Mark, Mark, Mark and I went on to do the Genesis version. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. And, and so we you discovered did... we discovered that Namco had already done a version with Namco Japan for the Japanese Mega Drive version. Okay. How about the TG sixteen? That was my favorite system at the time. Uh, yeah, they uh, we sent videotapes to Japan. Okay. And like a week a week later, this guy uh, June Amanai he had the version running on the Turbo Graphics. Wow! Wow! Um, it was amazing. Yeah. Very good. How did you get started in gaming? Because uh, you you were actually involved with a couple of, of neat titles, and, and you actually moved around a little bit uh, during your programming career. Well, I started out, I, I worked at uh, Use Aircraft as an engineer. Oh, okay. And, and we actually worked on laser weapon systems. We had a joystick. They took a 707 and put a laser in, in it, and we had a joystick, and they would point at targets and shoot them with lasers and things like that. Wow, wow. Very good. But we spent, it seemed like in the government, we spent a lot of time doing uh, paperwork and documentation and more than the actual programming. <laughs> and uh, where I worked was a mile away from Mattel Electronics. Okay. So they had a big job fair, and I went there and I, I got a job. So. And you started was, at Mattel in the early 80s, I guess? Yeah, 82. Okay. So at Mattel, you started to design in television games for the Atari 2600? I was hired in the Intellivision group, but okay. after, as soon as, about a week after I got there, they told us that they had a 2600 group. And, ah, ah, gotcha. And 2600 games, and I was always fascinated by the 2600. I'm that very was. interested in your roller disco balloon darting game, Blowout, that never saw the light of day. Okay, that, that was a Keith Robinson's uh, uh, idea. And oh, okay. To make, they wanted to make party games that people could play at parties. Gotcha. And so, you know, it was an idea eventually, uh, you know, Mario Mario Party type game. I they see. Had, they had thought of. Yeah, you, you pass the joystick around. You have two two uh, couples. and But you're this roller disco type of character. Did any of the... So did, how far along did you get on that game? Because I want to play a roller disco guy on the 2600 uh, popping yeah. balloons with darts. Oh uh, yeah, well we didn't get very far. They okay. had it. They did it on the Intellivision, and then we were supposed to cover it on the twenty six hundred. But they got much farther on the Intellivision than we did. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you also did something kind of interesting before that that division was shut down, and and that was uh, what has come to be known as dual scrolling. I guess you were able to split the the two backgrounds and move them sort of like as parallax or something. Yeah, I, well, I split the screen uh, horizontally in in the upper half and lower half, and then one would be controlled by one player, and the bottom half would be controlled by another player. Oh, I see. Okay. When when I heard, first heard about this, I sort of got a ball blazer type of uh, uh, image in my head. I don't know if you recall that. That was a game for the 5200 uh, out of uh, uh, George Lucas, uh, Slayer of Pinball. George Lucas, he made that title. Right, right, yeah, that's that's the kind of idea, except it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a 3D perspective, it was an overhead gotcha. perspective. Right on. Are you involved with any gaming now, like behind the scenes, or just in your own personal living room? Uh, I have I have a Wii. Oh, okay, very good. And a Nintendo DS, and I, I still play games sometimes. The Wii and DS, and very huge in Japan still, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
I wrote in my spare time. I wrote a 3D version of the old television biplanes game. Oh, oh, great! So, and on the PC, and I've I've been talking to Keith Robinson of Intellivision Inc. about that, but so far we haven't done anything with it yet. But. Cool, cool. Yeah, is he involved with the Intellivision Lives movement that's online now? Uh, yeah, he he bought the rights to he he was an Intellivision programmer and he bought the rights to the Intellivision essentially. Yeah, it's a, it's a great site and it's something it's it really shows you know you you can take over things that are being emulated you know whatever the reasons people want to emulate things but you you can take that back as as um, intellectual property and make it successful and I think Intellivision Lives uh, the website is a great example of that. Yeah, I think he's done a great job of promoting it and, and, and trying to give people the best experience of playing those games that he, he can do. Great system. Uh, we just talked about uh, the, the three must-have titles for that, uh, the Intellivision, on uh, last episode. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for telling us about Clax. We love Clax. We, we've oh, talked, we mentioned it about definitely over the last three episodes of We Talk Games. It's definitely a game that uh, we can go back to again and again. Thank you so very much for being a part of We Talk Games. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. Bye now. Nice to talk, talk to you. Thank you. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. This is really great. I, I, these are the people that made it happen for me when I go boop, boop, boop. All right, zip, zip, Keith. Let's go to Ireland. And it's Garthigo! Hello. Yo, man. Got some, got some video games. What Come you got on. for us? What you got for us uh, this month? John. Marvelous Capcom 2, actually. Johnny Capcom 2? Wow! Oh, it's, yeah, he's great. Better than me. <laughs> now, w- now, wait, what did you say? Marvel vs. Capcom 2? I hope that's what you said. Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah, because we didn't get to review this last time. So, what do you think about this title? Uh, I mean, come on, it's awesome. Yeah. It's just so much fun and like it's a uh, 1200 points which is a very reasonable price considering that you can pay up to 500 pounds for a playstation 2 copy really? on ebay sometimes wow 500 pounds yeah That's, that must be the world's heaviest game yeah it's like if yokozuna was currency that's that'd it that'd be it you know i mean right on. For all you wrestling fans from the 90s <laughs> Yeah, just a great game. I mean, the roster is fantastic. I, a lot of people don't like the music. I love the music. Mm. Um, the backgrounds are great, and like every time you pick a new team, the game is different. Yeah, that's why I love about it. You know, it's one of those things that really kind of defines why I love games like that. Just because it's so much fun and so whatever. I mean, my team is generally Ken Masters, Captain America, and Jill Valentine, and uh, I love playing with those. And uh, the, I think that really There's, makes that great. You get the zombie helpers and stuff. Oh yeah, and Tyrant. Yeah, it's great. And the best thing with Tyrant is you come in, and uh, you, you have to kill him afterwards, or he'll do more damage to you. I think the non-fighters, like non-traditional fighter characters, make mm. that game really great because they're so well thought out. You know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, Mega Man. Well, like you know, he can he can bend his knees for the first time ever, and <laughs> <laughs> it's weird looking at it as well. But, and then you've got like you know like Cable is is like you know a really cheap character, yeah. and, you know a good one to use. But then you've got like Gambit is great and Juggernaut is fantastic, and every everyone kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah, and uh, that's what I think is really cool about it. And if you can play with my friend Liam, it will be the best game you've ever played because he's uh-huh. the best loser ever. 
Oh, okay. Uh, well, I think I might give him a run for his losing money. Uh, well, all I'll say is, all right, for 10 seconds, he's the sorest loser on the planet, all right? <laughs> oh, I so he, you get this, all right? You beat him, and he's like, what the... But well done, though. That was good. I mean, you beat me fair and square. It was just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's and great. every time like he, I was talking to him in the car and he was like I'm not like that and then we were playing and he caught himself in the middle of it and sure enough once he went I am like that and then he went oh but well done though. that was that was good you know he beat me <laughs> that's fantastic yeah I'm I'm terrible at, at most all games except evidently at Trials HD which I am slaughtering people's time scores Oh, well, I'll get on there sooner or later and finally, lose horribly to you. Finally, something I'm, I'm, uh, I actually do well at. But oh, yeah, well, I, mean, I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned this a game last uh, episode. Uh, there's so many characters to choose from. You can just spend hours just going through the different combinations. Yeah, like Spiral and Silver Samurai and Servbot and all the Good all stuff. the famous Capcom and Marvel characters. You know. Yep. Yep. But and Tetsunoku versus Capcom—that's coming soon. You know. Ooh, I'm looking For forward your- to that. For the Wii, of all things. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, when I first heard about this, I thought it was just going to be, you know, as we called it in the state, G-Force uh, versus uh, the or Battle of Planets uh, from G-Force. Uh, I thought it was just going to be G-Force versus um, Capcom, but it turns out to be lots of different anime stars. Yeah, I think Speed Racer is in there, isn't he? And good if I'm not mistaken, didn't they do Beautiful Joe as well, Tetsunoku? Yeah, 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 that's it. And just, you know, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to, to play. And apparently one punch in a, just like a regular punch does a billion damage. So they're just kind of, seem to be just kind of playing around with the concept of multi-hit combos and all as well. So I you see. get like 10 trillion damage for like a Hadouken or something. I see. Uh, but, uh, it's one I'm looking forward to a lot. And uh, did, uh, there's a game I'm, I've been playing a lot lately as well. And uh, it's it's been discussed at length on the show before by both yourself and Kyle and I'm sure others and that's Peggle oh okay and, uh, just getting into that now oh yeah I I bought the game for because I wanted my girlfriend to have something to play mm-hmm. on my Xbox and uh, both me myself and Kyle are in agreement the ladies love Peggle oh yeah and I, you know and it's all about the ladies it know? is and it's very so, good on iPhone works works uh, on lots of different platforms oh hell yeah I go get it like you know yeah, oh, and uh, I, speaking of puzzle games, Puzzle Fighter HD. Have you played this yet? Of course, I had. Well, not the HD version, but yes, I played Puzzle Fighter ad nauseum, especially when it came out for the PlayStation One. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I had a friend who had it, but would never loan it to me. Ah, <laughs> so couldn't so, like ten couldn't years. bear to be without it in case he got the hankering to play it. Oh yeah, I mean, like, and I can see where he's coming from now, you know. Yep. But uh, definitely great game, and I'd recommend it to anyone. And you know yourself, it's the art style and the comedy and the music is great. And I just love when, even when I'm Dan and I'm losing, I love hearing Dan shriek. That's just worth <laughs> the price of the game. But uh, the twist to put on the puzzle format itself, I think, is just worth getting it for. Like you know, because uh, how do I put it? It's you know yourself you have to be strategic about where you drop your blocks and then explode them and stuff oh yeah yeah right? yeah yep it's it's sort just, of like a, a combination of you know it, well it's it's based on a block dropping but then you can build giant gems when you uh, link a whole bunch of blocks together much like 
Puyu Puyu, or uh, as many, some people might have known it released in the States, I don't know, abroad, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, or Dr. Egg. Wasn't his name Dr. Egg or something? No, his uh, name was Dr. Robotnik, all right? And then okay. for some friggin' reason, they changed it to Eggman, because... Oh, okay. I don't know how I that all. I don't know how us. Eggman all came, but I think my, one might have been Japanese. I don't. I don't recall. But it's 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 sort of like Puyo Puyo in ways. But then you can also like Clax. Here's the whole tie-in with today's show. Uh, you can also build pictograms or whatever you want to call them. Different different configurations for each character as to which will enable super duper. Pooper scooper moves for each individual character on these different design patterns. Yeah. Well, and you're the, super deformed. Oh, definitely. That's one of the best parts about it. Watching your little chibi guys go at it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Just so much fun. Again, that's only about 800 points. The comedy is great, the art style is great. Uh, you know, just just go get it and play it. And it's another one the ladies will probably play, which as well, because my girlfriend can hammer me at it. I yeah. turn into my friend Liam when she's playing Puzzle Fighter with me. <laughs> yeah, any anyone that likes any types of puzzle games, I think uh, it, it's one of the best. It's one of the most fun, I should say. The last game that I have really is a. Um, I know it's not it's one you weren't too fond of last month, but uh, I was playing quite a bit of Turtles in Time Reshelled. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just I couldn't get behind the 3D remake of this. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I just kind of went, wow, new Turtles game. You know, that was my attitude, and I like it. I, I think I think if you look at it, and anyone who's thinking about picking it up, if you look at it, and you think you might like to play it, then try it out. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's what I think is the best part of the Xbox 360 is the fact that uh, you know you can demo every game. Oh, definitely, and I mean, just you're not going to get a lot of turtle stuff these days based on the old cartoons and comic books. You know, mm-hmm. so. If you're into that stuff, just take what you can get, you know? Yep. The last game I think I'll discuss, but I'll only discuss some minute detail because I know Kyle has uh, shotgunned this one. Yeah. And that's, of course, Arkham Asylum. And uh, What do you think about it? I, I love this, if yeah. I'm honest with you. Uh, am I detecting that you uh, have some issues with it? No, not at all. I mean, how can you get better than, uh, than this as far as, especially a DC comic releases? I think this resets the faith in superhero-based video games. The animated series might be my favorite TV show ever. Like, you know, ranks up there for me. Mm-hmm. And to have all that kind of fan service to that show, but then to have the actual art style of that game mm-hmm. be something completely on its own, yeah, it just yeah. works so well, you know? Yep, yep. And the gameplay is just fantastic. The detective mode, everything else is great. But one thing I want to bring up specifically is that I cannot wait for the sequel. <laughs> I don't know if they're working on one yet. But, I'm sure uh, they you are. The, have you ever read the War Games Batman story? Not War Games, no. Well, that's the kind of story I'd like to see them follow it up with. Because when I was playing it, I, I loved being Batman and I don't want to spoil the story, but just being in the Batcave and using all the gadgets and stuff like that it made me think I want to play as Catwoman and Robin and all these other characters as well so I'd love to see like a big multi-character all over Gotham style game next from them you know and I think they do a brilliant job of it yes yes alright man well stick around for the forum and we'll bring you back in there for that will do thanks pal bye see ya John E. Capcom still no uh Still the same status of our uh, 
buddy. I, if we talk games, had a subtitle: "The Death of Stinky." I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about. It. I don't want to think about. It. In fact, uh, let's let's try, let's pick it up a little bit here. Who knows? Hopefully, everything's right. Right? I mean, he would have let me know that. He, he did say he was sick. Uh, let's get Greg on the line. This is good news to me. When when developers and people that I admire as movie makers want to call back, this is good for me. Let's get him on the line. San Francisco! Greg Maladic, Future of Pinball. What's going on in Future of Pinball, LLC? Future Pinball LLC. Well, last time we talked about Wishing Stars, which is the game that came out in iPhone, and that shipped and is doing real well. One of the greatest games ever created for the iPhone. Uh, well, that's what I hope people think. People seem to be reacting really well so far. That's good. That's good. And, uh, and a lot of feedback with the developer on this one? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you recall, it's a, a GPS game that you play at Disneyland. Yeah. And uh, you go around searching for hidden virtual prizes. And I'm going to be down at the D23 Expo, which is that new Disney Expo that they are holding for fans. I'm going to be there this week cool. uh, for that and meeting up with Wishing Stars players. So I'm really looking forward to that. Wow, that's great. And, and now uh, you can be searching for a star and all of a sudden you're caught in Spider-Man's web or something. That's right. I'm going to have to end in Marvel-related stuff yeah, now. That's going to be good. That's going to be great. Yep. Just don't rip down my, my Spider-Man ride in Universal before I get there. Yeah, that thing is awesome, isn't it? That's my favorite ride of ever, and now with this, you know, the competitor, something's got to give, and I'm just hoping it's still there uh, when I when I get there on the around the 18th or 19th of October. Oh, yeah. from what I've heard, it's safe. They're okay. not uh, Disney can't build. I think they can't build any Marvel stuff that uses any of the Universal's characters, the ones they put in the park uh, in their parks. So I think the oh. Spider-Man ride is safe. Okay, well, great, fantastic. What do, you, what do you got for us now? Big, big, uh, big, big conventions going on. That's right. Well, I'm going to the D23, like I mentioned, but also there's a, an excellent show coming up here in the Bay Area the first weekend in October. It's called the Pacific Pinball Expo, and this is the third annual Pacific Pinball Expo. It's the world's largest pinball show. Wow. It is. We're going to have nearly 400 uh, pinball machines there, which is quite a few pinball machines there's a website it's called pacificpinball.org you visit it and you can see a movie there of last year's show and see just how incredibly huge this thing is because it is it is massive you know someone should make a movie about pinball and like trying to save it or something or resuscitate it that would be a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, I wish somebody would do that. In fact, I did do it a couple of years ago. I did Tilt the Battle to Save Pinball, right. which probably some of your listeners have um, already seen on DVD. It's out on iTunes and Netflix now. And uh, George Gomez, who was on your last show, I believe, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, he's the uh, star of the movie. He's, he's the one that built uh, Pinball 2000. All the royalties go to George. <laughs> uh, they go to me to try and recoup the the cost that I, I I put into making the film, which I haven't come close to recouping yet. But uh, hopefully someday. Well, get on those iTunes, everybody, and and download this movie because it's a very very passionate. As I mentioned, probably the most passionate video game related movie. And we'll be talking more about uh, video game related movies on this uh, panel and how how far we've come, come a long way from Wizard and Joysticks. These new, Absolutely. Yeah, this new, yeah, no doubt. This new swell of uh, movies and interest in these movies uh, have, have brought a more, you know, more realistic premise and a more compelling story, in my opinion, than, than any fantasy. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, what's the, what's the best uh, video game movie you've seen recently? 
Well, recently, uh, I mean, it still has to be uh, from, you know, King of Kong and, and Tilt. Those are my two favorites. Oh, well, great. I appreciate history. that. Yep, yep. Right on. And yeah, no, the reactions are really good to tell people. You know, it's sort of like King of Kong, but it's from the designer's perspective instead yep. of the player's. So you get to kind of see the flip side of that movie. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, anything else about this expo or is anything else you yeah. got for us? Or? It's, uh, it's at the Marin County Civic Center. So if you're in the Bay Area, uh, it's not that hard to get to. Just go over the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's pretty easy to find. Uh, it's running October 2nd through the 4th. Okay. Um, and like I said, it's the world's largest show. Um, it's being run by an organization called the Pacific Pinball Museum, which I'm a board member of. Oh. And um, the organization was founded by a guy named Michael Sheese about seven or eight years ago. He runs an arcade here in the area called the Lucky Juju Pinball Arcade, which some of your listeners might know about. It's kind of a famous place. It's open every weekend, and they have about uh, 40 or so pinball machines on display. But uh, he came up with the idea that he wanted to feature a whole museum that was dedicated to pinball. Not just pinball exactly, but kind of how it works and and what it's all about. So the museum will feature not just the machines, but also the history and the science behind how they work. Oh, great. Fantastic. And so this uh, expo is to raise money to build that build that museum. Oh, okay, great. So it's, a, it's another good cause. Absolutely. We're a nonprofit, and uh, like I said, raising money for this. There's going to be a lot of great stuff at the show besides pinball. We're going to have uh, two very famous pinball designers, Steve Ritchie oh, and wow. John Frudo. Wow. Um, both going to be speaking at the, uh, at the expo on Saturday the 3rd. So that's definitely a can't-miss uh, I can't miss a uh, uh, thing to see. Yeah. And then also we're going to be featuring some of the special machines that the um, uh, museum owns. Like there's a visible pinball machine. Uh, mm. it's, made, it's a machine that's made entirely out of, I think, lucite or plexiglass, something like that. But yeah, like the famous <laughs> visible man and visible woman models of the 70s. It's exactly the same idea, but applied to a pinball machine. And so the, muse- the museum has that in its collection. It will be on display and playable. Wow. Cool, cool, man. Yeah, and, and, and all, all viewable at our website, PacificPinball.org. Right on. And, uh, you know, anything associated with Lucky Juju, that's got to be good, because Juju is one of my favorite things. Black Juju by Alice Cooper, and now, of course, Lucky Juju. Yep, it's it's a great place in case uh, any of your people haven't are out in the area and haven't visited. You know, the expo is just this one weekend. It's October second through the fourth, but the Lucky Juju is open every weekend over in Alameda. So that's definitely worth a visit as well. I gotta head out there. Yeah, it's a great place. All right, man. Well, thanks for for dropping in on We Talk Games and uh, and uh, telling us about this great expo. Hey, thanks for letting me uh, come on and talk about it. Bye now. All right, thanks. All right, welcome to the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires. Uh, welcome back on board here, Kyle and John. Hello. How you doing? Nice to be back. Um, it is. How's Stinky doing up? He's still out. Okay, very good. Well, Hello. or whatever. Uh, yes, I don't want to... Is his chest moving at all? Can you, you, can you see from where you are? All I can see is his gut is hanging out a little bit. It's a little bit distended and his shirt's up, but... I really don't Does see. Does he still moving. have his thumb on the Life magazine? <laughs> yeah, it's still same position. Everything's the same. Uh, and it is the Michael Jackson edition with the red jacket of Life magazine. Oh. I can see that. 
Uh, so yeah, I don't want to draw any analogies. It's there. either adorable or horribly morbid. You know that he's it's cute. Saying. It's very cute, but I don't know you, why he's. Let's hope he's not dead. That's what we already went over. Hey, let's get into. We're already two stacked. Now we didn't. We don't really have a proper question, although it may lead and answer many people's questions that they have posed on the bulletin boards. You go to We Talk Games, click on bulletin boards, and you can take part in the online conversation. The great new community that is building and budding on the Wiggly World of Media Message boards. Do it. So what we are going to discuss today is, you know, we well we once again have Greg Maletic back on a show. Now, we know that we love his movie, Tilt, The Battle of yes. Save Pinball. So it's often been brought up about, you know, video game movies and things like this. But it's this is going to be more of an open forum discussion thing, not a questions, necessarily. But let's take a look at video games in our lives, in history, and of course, we must start with many of the video game movies that have come out. Now, you know, the famous ones had to be probably Fred Savage, The Wizard. Yes. I'm looking at my uh, this 40-minute movie right before me here. This was a big one from the 80s by MCA Universal. Now, why don't we have a ride, Wizard? Probably because it would have to be all Nintendo things. Well, didn't um, they? They went through Universal Studios in that movie. They do, and and so they, the ride would be a ride <laughs> within itself. Ah, uh, gotcha. That's, the ride would be a it's movie kind of, of the too ride meta. movie. Yes. I don't think we could break get too many walls. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that was a famous one. We also had, of course, one of our famous uh, favorites to talk about. A movie that I loved. I'm staring at the laser disc now. I'm looking at Yoshi. He's a real little baby <laughs> dinosaur uh, that's uh, suckling on someone's thing. I see. Uh, Let me go on record saying that Yoshi looked better in that movie than any dinosaur in Jurassic Park. I have to agree. 104 minutes. This was presented in a 1.85 to 1 ratio, NTSC, by uh, Capital. And uh, this is, of course, it's a blast. Your favorite saying is ruined on there, Kyle, by the Washington Post. <laughs> the letterbox laser disc, Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, uh, Leguizamo which I can never say. The, the pest. <laughs> Dennis Hopper, uh, Super yes, Mario that's... Brothers. As Koopa. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Toad was Mojo Nixon, and uh, who can forget that? Wait, we're jumping ahead, though. What about movies like um, The Last Starfighter? Last Starfighter? Uh, and Another? Tron. Tron? But see, Tron is inside a video game. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess Super Mario Brothers is, too, because it's a blast. Can't blast, blast without being inside of there. Uh, <laughs> Wizard, of course, Last Starfighter about playing video games. Also about playing video games. Many of them... Ow! Off the radar, my sandals, of course, being okay. one of them, uh, was of course uh, some Did of that my. Wake stinky? <laughs> uh, nope, still, ah. still reading. Uh, 1983 joysticks. Hey, uh, you want to get your TNA on? There you go. Uh, more fun than games, says the back of the video. For wow. Four ninety nine. Did it live up to it? It did not. But I'll tell you what. A lot of. New, uh, topless women playing Pac-Man. I can dig it. Yeah, you can't, wow. you can't go wrong with that. Scott McGinnis of Wacko starred in this, of course. Leaf Green was the star of the star of <laughs> Grease 2 and of Joysticks. Uh, now, is that spelled L-E-I-F? Or uh, just Leaf? No, L-E-A-F. How about that? Oh, <laughs> Jim Greenleaf, uh, of course, played Dorfus. 
Of, of course. And uh, he was in he was in Liar's Moon. Uh, Lee, oh, Leaf Green is L E I F. Yes, it is. Uh, he was Eugene, uh, of course, from Greece too. But Jim Greenleaf was of Liar's Moon. He played Dorfus. And uh, this is about, of course, a caliber of actors. And this was, of course, about. I'm gonna tell you what. One of the guys here very easily could be one of our guests coming coming up Uh-oh. on the show. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, like a a, a a shoot off of that character. He's of course a guy that scores the twins at the same time. You know what I mean? You know, Billy Mitchell. Yes. 1983. Here he is. And this is, of course, about a, an arcade that is going to be shut down by the main arcade guy, developer man, unless they can raise money. The so, man's keeping him down. Yeah, and the, and the punks that they get on here, of course, the, the man goes out and hires his own video game players, and they're all punks. And in order to practice, the, the head punk that's really good at video games gets his cronies to play to be real like berserker people and go <laughs> yeah and i think that's the end game you actually you know what hey isn't that new movie coming out with like 300 in it that guy yeah yeah were, that's what uh, this whole prim that's thanks, the end thanks. of this movie that it's movie sounds time. like karate kid but really bad with like, video games but karate live kid. have a big did have a big ball with a face on it to chase these berserker buddies away like once he'd spent too much time in one particular room or? i cannot you know the, the end of the movie i remember they're actually playing a live video game with live people and a giant <laughs> joystick in front of them and i just cannot recall how it all went down I, it's something like that i imagine it went down badly <laughs> <laughs> but even worse three years later hey who can make a better video game related movie than trauma team you know, you know what I mean. In fact, it has an introduction by uh, Toxie, I think, oh, awesome. on this. So you can't go wrong with that. Hollywood Zap, the I biggest, the biggest star out of here, being Tony Cox, Tony Cox <laughs> of uh, you know Bad Santa and any other movie that calls for an angry. Was oh, that the uh, gentleman we were discussing earlier on? It is the guy. He was on, of course. Uh, what? what He's starting. I mean, he is the he is modern. Famous. He is, and he is the modern day Billy Barty, no doubt about it. Ghoulies Four, Leprechaun Two, The Fantastics, Blank Man Friday, uh, Weird World, Mad TV, Claude's Crib, Jamie Foxx Show, Star Gravy Mad, Back by Midnight, Me Myself and Irene, Frasier, Hebrew Hammer. I mean, holy mackerel! This guy has you know sixty five movies at least and more. So he starred in this as well, Hollywood Zap. Uh, I don't know if anyone liked this. I liked it, of course, because, you know, it's more frontal nudity and video games. Yeah. And this is about a video game hustler, which, as you know, was big in the 80s, people going around hustling. And it, of course, the big key to this, uh, starring Porky from Porky's movie, Porky's Revenge or whatever. The fat guy? Yeah, he's in it. He's like, you know, stock footage of him saying something related to a video game, I think. How do you hustle in video games? Do you, like, purposely fall into a ghost or something? I don't understand how you hustle in video games. Yeah, man. You know, it's far too obvious. It's far too complex to. uh, You put your hand up on the top of the cabinet and pull people's money off, I guess. (laughs) Any movie that starts off with a guy hitchhiking saying, hey, you got to pick me up because I got a gut full of crap. 
you know you're off to a good start here. Classic dialogue that can only be found in a trauma movie. <laughs> and now we're already 10 minutes in, and we haven't talked about our shift. Now, we used to have these, and of course we had Street Fighter 2 and all these movies about the... the Mortal like, Kombat! Fatal Fury. Uh, and, you know, we had anime, we had all this other, and we had live yep. versions Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat 2, didn't that come out? Oh, yeah. More, more, well, Mortal more. Kombat 2 was called Mortal Kombat something. Yeah. Was Annihilation. <laughs> yeah, you know uh, it's really bad when any movie is it, the song is better than the movie and the games. That was the that case was, in those films. Yeah, that song, the Mortal Kombat song, "Test Your Might." No, yeah, it was actually on the radio today. Oh, see what I mean? It's classic, but yet you didn't turn on your telly and see the movies, uh, or maybe you did. But some people like those movies. Hey, I don't know. There's no. Uh, they're all right, but I mean, I mean, when I was a kid, I knew it was going to be junk. Yeah. But I still wanted to see live action Goro. Oh yeah. so, sure. You know, <laughs> and I remember I love those foam arms hanging off the oh, side, yeah. and it looked like and they it, just lifted the claymation that they did from the the video game and put it in there. Yes. And, I mean, it's faithful enough, because at the end of it, you know, Shao Kahn does kind of turn up and all. Right, right. And I think Glacier does a better job acting as Sub-Zero than whoever did it in that movie. Oh, boy. With his velvet (laughs) Am I not allowed to say that? No, no. uh, Glacier is amazing. Uh, Yeah, but you're right. You're absolutely absolutely correct. I think Um, he gets the character. Yes, he understands it. He owns it. Uh, and also, you know, hey, who can dis- who could ever want to go against Jean-Claude Van Damme? Let's make Guile the main character in, oh, in a movie. That is my favorite thing about Street Fighter. Here's Guile, okay? And he's Jean-Claude Van Damme, got the American flag tattoo on his arm, and he's like, let's do it for the USA! <laughs> it's because Steven Seagal passed it up. He's uh, American-made, I'm telling you. Now, I bet Steven Seagal was in a video game-related movie as well. Yeah, we just can't think of it. <laughs> um, yeah, but that notwithstanding, ha- the shift that we now have, we don't, now we have more of a documentary feel. Although King of Kong is, is you know, full of drama, it does more follow... Hollywood drama. Yeah. But it does more follow uh, a more journalistic approach to video games. Like, we named our top games. We, I mean, we had move, we have people on our show relating to these movies. We yes. have, you know, the, the, the person that created Tilt, the Battle Save Pinball. We have on Hank Rogers from Tetris from Russia with Love, which was a BBC uh, documentary. Yeah. And very dramatic movie in its own right. We See, have- the thing with the BBC and King of Kong, and you find this a lot with BBC documentaries, is that they're very um, narrative yeah. And they, they structure things to tell sort of your atypical theatrical narrative. So that's why people are like, well, there's, you know, some drama mixed in there to make it more interesting. And this was cut like that. But nevertheless, it's still a documentary. Whereas Tilt, I feel, was a more interesting narrative than King of Kong, for me personally, mm-hmm. but was more traditional in a documentary sort of sense. Is It told the story instead of taking a story and turning it into a narrative for film. The thing about the shift to modern like type of video games, like the modern video game documentary, I think you kind of have to look at the growth of both medium or medias, basically, because, I mean, video games, let's face it, was seen as just like a the new hula hoop it was going to be gone in a few years yeah. you know mm. and only in the last few years like 10 years or so 
it has become like fully mainstream type of thing. So you've got probably got like executive producers and backers and whatever who've just gotten in on the last two generations, you know, who will probably go, yeah, I want to know what happened with Frogger or whatever, you know? Right, right. And it's like both of them had to kind of mature because like back in the old days as well, like the, I'd imagine the imagination kind of inspiration, if you want to, I sound a bit like Jeff Hardy there. But uh, <laughs> if like uh, the inspiration people would have gotten was like to take what like the uh, great like feeling and buzz they'd get from a video game and then try to visualize it, you know, right. mm-hmm. uh, because the technology of film special effects was only coming along, you know, after like Star Wars and stuff like that. Hey, so they yeah, properly. I, I went think- to the theater and saw Double Dragon. I'm sorry, <laughs> I paid theater prices for Double Dragon. You'll never get that money back. I think that um, culturally, with the mainstream, have accepted video games uh, as more of a art form than back in the 90s, like you were saying, John, where yeah. it was just like a toy that could be marketed. And that's why now we're seeing these documentary-type movies being made, but they're not at the... I mean, they just released another Street Fighter movie, like straight to DVD. Yeah. But the like Tilt and King of Kong and they, Chasing they Ghosts. Let's 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 get a couple other here. Chasing Ghosts Beyond the Arcade. Chasing Ghosts. We also fragged. had that fragged. We had that yep. one. And I'm am really not interested in PC for FPS type of games. But fragged uh, intrigued me. Yeah, no, it was very interesting. Again, that was more documentary based. You know, that wasn't just based around a character that was telling the story. Mm-hmm. You know, these films unfortunately have limited showings, and then it's by. Well, you know, from the website, yeah. or try to get get a DVD copy and see if yourself. Like, I wanted to see King of Kong in the worst way when I heard about the film, but good luck trying to find it in the theater. Yeah. Once it came out on DVD, I mean, I bought it day one. And now and it's great because it's you know in in the Xbox, it's on uh, Netflix, right. it's in iTunes. iTunes now. You can buy, you can buy Tilt on iTunes. Yep. Don't forget to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and. and it just—it's very interesting that that shift that we're talking about. How we went from yes, it's just a fad, and like let's capitalize on this too. Let's talk about the cultural significance of pinball. Let's talk about the cultural significance of professional gaming. It's very interesting. It's like this evolution of a game. Gaming is becoming embedded into our culture, like any other art form. Any other good new gaming movies? Yeah, there's one called Another Another Perfect World. Oh. And that was made for Channel 4 in the UK. Okay. And uh, you can watch it on YouTube because that's where I saw it. But it's cool. about like uh, people like living their lives through like a like an MMO type of game. Oh, God. Uh, wow. No, well, it's really kind of... I mean, like you'll be sitting there going, oh, come on, just play freaking Pac-Man. <laughs> but at the same time... Like it's fascinating to see how far people take an initial kind of creation and then push it into their mold it into their own wants and needs and stuff. And it's like, mm. it, like people just don't live in the real world sometimes as well. And there's a mm. lot of that. Yeah. But uh, there's like there's weird there's industry inside the games now. Oh yeah. People make a, people make a living from. There's one guy who makes a living and he makes a fortune. From uh, animating sex poses for uh, one of those... Uh, like things. Second Life or something? Second Life, yeah. He's yeah. got like a motion suit and he just humps the bed and stuff. He makes like 500 grand a year. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in the wrong business. I, I've seen you know many people that, that are uh, real estate sales people in Second Life. I've talked about it before on many of my other shows about clothing designers, that people that made a lot of loot off of designing clothing early on in Second Life. 
Yeah, well, how about yeah. uh, South Korea's economy being based off, like, uh, grinding for gold and wow and things like that? Like, that's <laughs> insane. Wow. How, oh, yeah, how just, deep is, wow. it's got. There's professionals, I think, that you can hire to get your character up in Korea. And, like, you give them your login and they'll get yeah. your character up. Yeah, I mean, there's legitimately, like, there's legitimate business based around MMORPG. It's uh, crazy. And how about that story about the couple who had their kids taken away because they weren't feeding them or bathing them or sending them to school because they were too busy playing WoW. Wow. Warcraft, yeah. It's uh, strange. And we've seen our cinema change. We've seen uh, this this all uh, go through a, a, a transformation or an, an evolution. Uh, wh- where Where is this all headed? Where are we headed? Where What would you like to see? Where would you like to see it going? What would you like to see re-implemented? What would... Anything? Anyone? See, I know. I'd like to see a sequel to Berserk, actually. We were talking about it. <laughs> I'd love another Berserk. You know, like a, a Geometry War style Berserk or something. With like a giant, you know, widescreen room to go through. That'd be great. You, that is the future of gaming. Berserk. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> now, are you talking about gaming or gaming cinema? I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I think uh, that we're only going to see video games uh, become more and more respected as an art form. Um, and people are going to, you know, open their minds to what's possible with gaming and how you can use this tool to do many other things other than put something on the screen and shoot at it. Yeah. Uh, as far as gaming's concerned, uh, I don't know. I think we're seeing a lot of what's going to happen. You know, the digital downloads and the on-demand and things like that. I think it's just going to be more of that. There's a lot of talk about um, not even a box, but just a plug-in system from some sort of television service where mm-hmm. you won't even have an Xbox or a Wii or a PlayStation anymore. I don't know if we'll ever come yeah, they're, to that. They're, they're streaming games from the server. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's good but, stuff. Uh, uh, it's interesting. I just don't know if um, it will ever get to that point in our generation because I, I think there's just too much money in having <laughs> that box in front of you. Oh, Even if you don't put anything in the box, the box is just there. They did that to with the Satellaview, though. <clears throat> Back in the True. 90s in Japan. Yeah. So, yeah. What yeah. did they do? The Satellaview, they oh. had like a satellite hookup in your house and the Nintendo would transmit Beam. Like, video games. Yeah. Very good. You know, and we'll see how the PSP goes as well. The PSP Go. <laughs> Uh, we'll see how that right. does. Uh, the first <clears throat> first slotless gaming. We're definitely system. moving towards an era of um, no more tangible items. Everything will be some sort of digital download into a device. Yeah, I, I'm I'm completely behind that. I as soon as I could get a menu on my gaming system and play games off my hard drive, legit games that I paid for, like like that's why I love my Wii, uh, the 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 virtual console because. I don't hack my stuff so that I could do illegal things. If I had a service where I could pay for those, I wouldn't. That's what I do with my virtual console. I, I pay for games, even if I have the hard copy of the TurboGrafx games. If I want right. the convenience of playing it off my hard drive and just switching from one game to another, boom, 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 there I go. I love it. I think it is very convenient. It's more appealing to me, and it's great for people with the short attention spans. Yeah, absolutely. I, the only thing I don't like with digital downloads is um, when... They charge full price as if it was printed on a disc. Yes, that I that, think that needs to come down. That needs to change. A different approach by the vendors need to, needs to uh, and to be addressed. Advertising in games is something else I kind of perturbed about because if you're advertising in a billboard on, let's say, Burnout Paradise, then that should cut the cost of the game because now you have people 
advertising their their you know products to millions of players while they're playing yeah, definitely and then one, we should see the reflection of cost there but we don't definitely and and one versus 100 is a perfect example of that you don't pay anything for the game you can win prizes advertising's taking commercial breaks yes. perfectly acceptable exactly uh, i was just going to say i'd like to see uh, games explore things that they haven't explored yet in like that traditional art so to speak has I don't think I've ever played like a melodramatic kind of, you know, game like that. Or like, you know, I played a game that tackles, I guess, stuff that you'd see in opera or hmm. just like, um, I, I do, we've gotten some kind of like surreal games over the years, but I'd like to see that tackled more as well, you know? Yeah. I think as an art form, video games is one of the most, probably the most exciting out there at the moment, you know? New things happen every year in yeah. video games. So, I mean, like, I mean, I love uh, film and I love all that and the other, but I mean, film is film, you know, it's always going to be a film. Video games has the opportunity with each generation of technological progression to push itself into areas that nobody can see coming, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would, I, I'd like to see that applied and let people be creative and maybe with the uh, whole digital distribution, maybe, like, because production costs will go down, we'll start to see more and more like new crazy projects out there from people yeah. who you know maybe you know like and I'd like to see like the I mean Call of Duty and stuff like that the massive profits from stuff like that I'd like to see it, instead of going into another Call of Duty and selling a billion copies maybe right. fun something just weird and kooky you know I gotta give it up to like a developer like EA who's like a powerhouse when it comes to developing video games. You know they crank out a Madden every year and make millions, uh, if not billions. But they have <laughs> zillions. Uh, yeah, they have been doing other more interesting and uh, for them counterintuitive games. Like uh, Henry ha- uh, Henry Hatsworth is a great example. Like here's a game by EA. Where'd this game come from? Don't you guys do sports games? Uh, I think we're starting to see that, and that's only because of this whole downloadable arcade at home movement that's going on. I think that with those type of games being cranked out, it's making people think like, hey, we can come up with little games too that are not the norm and turn a few bucks over on it. So I I think we probably will see more of that in the future. Yeah, maybe one day we'll even see something like Power Factory featuring CNC Music Factory. I could only hope. Yeah, let's look for that. Hey, you know what? You both have sparked in me an idea. I just thought of something. You both said about seeing video games in new ways, new things to do with video games. I, that I think I have a great idea for a guest next next month. Next, oh, next do month. you? Yeah, I think I, <laughs> I think I do. I think I do. I Local think you return do too. to the land of the living. Uh oh. Oh. He's he's up and about. Okay. Deep breath. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Good. Yeah. More contests coming. Okay. All right, Stinks. (laughs) All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being part of the panel this month. And uh, who knows? We'll have a regular question, a formal question next month or two. But thanks, everybody, for being a part of this. And I I think it's a very, 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 very exciting time to be involved with video games, especially being part of this show. So thank you all for being a part of it with me. Yes. It does take more than a scepter to rule. (laughs) <laughs> Bye now. Bye. All right, I've been looking forward to this all day. Uh, Keith, let's get Walter Day and Billy Mitchell on the line. 
All right, here to talk about the International Video Game Hall of Fame. Two people that were uh, in attendance, and not only in attendance, but I think patron saints of honor. I think that's what they're called in the video game world. The most scoring guy in the Pac-Man, Billy Mitchell, and Walter Day, the keeper of the scores, both on the line. Go! Hey, Walter, that means... And they're off. <laughs> so oh, it's... Walter, old, old, well, Walter, oldest first. Well, uh, well, yeah, that, but uh, that, that's a height, height before beauty, height before beauty. <laughs> so I think you're about seven feet taller than me. So why don't you start talking? Actually, you know, Wiggly, what the most interesting story is, is yes. the one that's going on in Ottumwa. Oh, yes. The one that's going on in Ottumwa is amazing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a town like Ottumwa, Iowa, that was proclaimed the video game capital of the world back in 1982 by the mayor and by the governor and by Atari and by the Amusement Game Manufacturers Association, which, which at that time represented Nintendo and Exidy and Universal and Williams and, and uh, Midway and, uh, you know, Atari. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've reconfirmed their status in Ottumwa as the video game capital of the world, and they're now working on developing the official International Video Game Hall of Fame, which will be the cultural crossroads for the whole world of gaming, for the whole planet. I mean, you people who are listening to Australia, they have to be checking their calendar soon or start checking airplane flights someday soon because they will have to come to Ottumwa to see the birth cradle of organized competitive video game playing and also the place that will be literally the mecca for video game players from all over the world in a small town of 26,000 people surrounded by cornfields in Iowa. Fantastic. What do you think of that, Wiggly? I love it. I, I, I yell when I love things. Oh, it's it's simply amazing because, you know, it's the spirit of the town and the spirit of Iowa. It's sort of like Iowa patriotism now. The state and and and, and people all over the state are getting behind this because they want this for Iowa because they see that it will transform the state. It'll change their whole self-image because they will be the crossroads for this most dynamic and most progressive entertainment medium that exists now in the world. The largest entertainment industry in the world is going to have its cultural base in a small town. And it's fashioning itself in a similar way like Cooperstown, except that it will be more involved in Cooperstown because Cooperstown just has the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And then whatever peripheral businesses support it, like maybe gift shops and restaurants, or maybe the Mickey Mantle restaurant will be in town or something like that there. But in Ottumwa, they consider themselves the video game capital of the world. So they're, they're, they're thinking there, could, there, could eventually, there could eventually be statues of Pac-Man in that town and a walk of fame on the sidewalk. All sorts of stuff. Uh, be cool. Maybe a big video game restaurant similar to a hard rock cafe is for rock and roll memorabilia. There's going to be so much stuff there supporting the big worldwide video game industry by giving it this mecca that everybody can call their home. Well, as as video games definitely penetrate the home market, it's it's something that I think everybody does now. It's a new one of the new pastimes, like watching television was back in the sixties and seventies and fifties, uh, and radio, and now video games. So why not? Why not have a a Planet Hollywood or something like that? Planet Video Games, make it happen. Now, Billy Mitchell. Now you were there. Yes, sir, I was there, but I didn't want to interrupt my elder, uh, Walter Day. The fact of the matter is, Otumwa 
this idea was originally born or was first heard of back in 1982. And when I heard about it then, I always had a vision that would it would someday come true, but it would take so many years. We're sort of like 75 years away from what Cooperstown now is, and I'm sorry, maybe it's not quite that long, but it was back in the 80s that the blood, sweat, and tears uh, were actually laid down, and things began to be earned. It gave Twin Galaxies and Otomo the right to be called the video game capital of the world. It was the original place where there was organized video game play, where champions traveled to, where the media went to meet them, where they were first observed and declared. Uh, there were people that came from all over the country and even other parts of the world, and I don't just mean players, but people who were considered dignitaries in the industry. Mm. Uh, politicians came. Uh, people came from Europe. Uh, I remember picking a gentleman up from the airport uh, who was from Italy. There were calls uh, from ambassadors. Um, there, were, there was a call from the White House, and I always knew that the groundwork had been laid. It was just a matter of time before it actually began to blossom. But again, I believe Otomo has earned the right to be the video game capital of the world because there was so much suffrage that went on so long ago and even suffrage that went unrecognized that to this day when you look back on them that's where it belongs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it deserves the title of video game capital of the world now Billy Mitchell may I call you Billy Mitchell what else are you going to call me? What kind of question is that? <laughs> well, I just want to make sure I, I like to ask that of all my guests how much time did you spend in Otomwa? Well, it was funny. I first went there in November of 1982, and it was in November of 1982 in front of the cameras of Life magazine that I dealt uh, such a crushing blow or a crushing defeat to um, a good friend of mine mm -hmm. <laughs> in the world of video games, and that forever put me in a state of mind that was competitive in the world of video games. I mean, it created a an obsession, what I sometimes call a controlled obsession, an obsession to play and to strive and to win and try to be the best. And the truth is, every opportunity I had after that to go to Otomo, I did. When there was no school in the summer, I spent the entire summer there. When I finished school, I went there and I found reasons and opportunities to get involved business-wise and open and create businesses that allowed me to travel there and spend more time there. It was basically a love of the area, a love of the people, and it was a passion for what was going on there. So to say that it consumed me would be, a, would be an understatement. Mm, very good. Walter, uh, w now, when did this go down? When did, this, when did the big opening happen? Well, on August 13th, which is a, a couple Thursdays ago, uh, they had this big launch party at the Bridgeview Center in Ottumwa. And that launch party is, uh, uh, that Bridgeview Center is like the uh, the big civic center, the auditorium uh, and exposition hall for the, for the region. They say that as many as a possible 3,500 people came through in the course of the, the nine-hour event. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I know I was, sta I was standing out by the sidewalk there unloading something, and a carload of people came from, uh, pulled up, and they were from Dubuque, Iowa, which was like three and yeah. a half, four-hour drive. Yeah, it's and then the next car was from Waterloo, which was three-hour drive. Then the next carload was from Chicago, which was five and a half, six-hour drive. Just went on all day. People came for, for six, seven, eight 
hours drive from all directions, not to mention even people, two guys came from England. Uh, and Fatality came. Fatality oh. and Billy Mitchell, the two most na widely known names in the entire video game world, and they were both there shoulder to shoulder in support of this. So, and uh, Fatality just issued on his website an actual little feature video about his visit to that thing, and he and he begins it by standing beside the outside the the, the, the sign for a tumble outside on the edge of town, saying that, and he's looking at the cornfield, saying that someday this will all be developed because this is the future Cooperstown of video game playing, something right like that. Yep. So so there's a tremendous tremendous groundswell of enthusiasm and support that's growing for Atumwa being the you know the the the, the place the mm. place the, that's the crossroads for all this incredible video game culture that's spreading all over the planet and where can people find out more about the International Video Game Hall of Fame well there is a website uh, videogamehalloffame.org however it's being developed right now so it may not be too much information on there right now okay. but there's a Facebook page they can put into Facebook International Video Game Hall of Fame and they'll find uh, a, fa a Facebook page that has hundreds of people hundreds of people on there who are all uh, exchanging information and uh, it's, uh, right now it's the uh, information conduit for anybody who wants to learn more about what's going on and uh, we're having big master plan meetings where we're talking about what the next step is. And uh, I'm not the official spokesperson for it. I'm just one of the people who uh, is dear to my heart, so I'd love to stand up and talk about it. There are actually people that you would really want to have on the show, even more than us, uh, who are the actual the chairman of the steering committee and some of the other people who are uh, local Atumwans, the local citizens, mm -hmm. to find out how devoted they are. Our friends who came from out of state to come to the big launch party, it was a couple of weeks ago, they all remarked afterwards that they were very impressed by the people who were involved in this and who believed in this and who were pushing this. Like people from the local college, uh, people from state government, you know, state representatives, mm -hmm. uh, the governor of Iowa sent someone there to read an official proclamation proclaiming a tumble of the video game capital of the world again, or reconfirming the old proclamation from years ago. There was a congressman from Washington, D.C. who made a speech, and then, uh, of course, lots of champion video game players, stars from all over the place. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce, of course, is behind this and the mayor's office and the city manager's office and all sorts of governmental officials with the county of Wapala, which is the county that is in. So there's county, city, and state government behind this and uh, lots of merchants and citizens and people from all over Iowa and people from all over the world are enthusiastic about this. And uh, people should make donations. Should, people should send in. In fact, let me tell you, listeners, right now. Yes. The people who were the first donors are on the phone with me right now. Right on. Billy Mitchell donated. Billy Mitchell donated the first arcade game. He 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 committed his uh, his arcade Donkey Kong that he got the world record on to have it be delivered to the Hall of Fame when it's ready for it. Right and on. then you, Wiggly and Kyle, who's your I guess we'll call him your producer. You guys gave the first boxfuls of stuff that has some great vintage uh, gaming uh, relics. Yeah. And so those uh, those were. Have been displayed and looked at by a lot of people already in Atumwa, and they're looking forward to having a place for that in the Hall of Fame as it opens. Fantastic! Yeah, we sent a box Sega Master System game game dot com, and of course uh, a keyboard, yeah, keyboard. miracle keyboard, so you can learn how to play the piano with Mario. Isn't that something? That's so fantastic! That's right. So you guys, you guys are pioneers. 
Right on. What I found so entertaining, if that's the right word to carry through this, when I was there was there were people who came up to me when we were first there, April 29th, discussing the idea, and then here at the launch party, uh, there were people who literally, they just passed me in the street, and they recognized me. They came up and they said hi to me, and they were people that I had met and had become friends with as far back as 1982. Wow. And it was really neat. It was really entertaining to have those people just come up and say hi to me, so much to the point that I called people that I was with back in 1982 and handed them the phone so they could have conversations. But I found it even more entertaining that there were people who were there to see what was going on, people from the local community, people that when you look at them, there is no chance that they ever played a video game. None. Zero. Wow. You know, when, when she's 78 years old and she's just there because she wants to know what it is that's going on there for Otomo, Yeah. Uh, that was really interesting. It's a happening. Um, it's was, a happening. That was kind of, a, yeah, it was kind of happening. It was really uplifting. And um, they were very polite. They were just, um, they're part of the community. And that was really, really entertaining. As is self-evident, we fully support the International Video Game Hall of Fame. And I look forward to uh, heading out there myself. Now, uh, Billy Mitchell, let me just say this. I've had uh, Tommy Tallarico on a show. He holds a record for most v music in a video game ever composed. I've had Ralph Bear on, the father of home video game consoles. Nolan Bushnell basically helped propel arcades into uh, the limelight and, and, and started Atari. George Gomez... Some of the best pins of all time, Monsters Bash and everything. Uh, on today's show, I even had Hank Rogers, who brought Tetris to the home consoles and handheld gaming. And David Ackers, of the creator of Clax. But why are you the biggest name to ever be on my show? Um, I don't know. I guess we'd have to put that out to... Uh basically to Walter, I guess um, as the years went on and I had the good luck and good fortune because I had to have both and I began to put scores together and records together, a certain amount of it was sticking. But when Walter put his book out in 1998, it stuck more, but nothing quite stuck like the perfect score on Pac-Man, mm. which was on July 3rd, 1999. Timing is everything in the world. It was at or around the 20th anniversary of Pac-Man. And after 20 years, a video game like a car uh, becomes a classic. Uh, the story ran around the world. There was media, there was interviews, there were places and countries and languages that I never knew existed. Every single day, I would get more and more and more news about it. Finally, the phone call came in from Japan. I uh, came in from Masaya Nakamura's office asking me to produce many different things related to Perfect Pac-Man when I produced them. Then they sent me a ticket, an invitation to go there to be on stage at the Tokyo Game Show, um, not just for Pac-Man, but for all the accomplishments that I had achieved during that time. And, and a shiny moment for sure was to be standing on stage and be crowned the video game player of the century. Uh, that was truly incredible. Wow. And I thought, I did, I thought from there things would sort of lay to rest for a bit, but um, it didn't, um, that poured on more media, that poured on things like MTV, um, that many, many different film crews, mm -hmm. um, some of which, um, you know, simply became part of an archive somewhere, some that were turned into movies, some that were, that were turned into real stories, fun stories, fictional stories, uh, it created a certain personality that to some degree is true, and to some degree is a lot of fun, but actually it's all a lot of fun, and I used to say... Uh, years ago, that if I get recognized six out of seven days in a week, then that's a slow week. Um, 
I don't remember the last time I had a six-day week. Wow. It's been a wow. while. Well, stick with me, kid. Never, no one ever heard of this MTV or Life magazine. The We Talk Games podcast will put Billy Mitchell on the map. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now, I'll always remember you. I'll always remember you on the way up <laughs> and even on the way down too. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm more. I, I will definitely spring to mind on the way down because that's where I sort of uh, hang out. Now, we mentioned earlier that you had people there from Butte, Montana, and that really reminds me of one of my heroes, which is Evil Knievel. And I think that you have. I think you have a little bit of that Evil Knievel in you. I think that. It's it's not just jumping a motorcycle that made evil famous. There was a lot of other stuff that went along with it. I think I think that happens in the the Billy Mitchell persona that that comes across in some of these documentaries and and whatnot. Like you said, casting roles. I'm not familiar with any of those personas. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I I don't watch them too much. I'm too busy leading an extremely normal, boring life. <laughs> now speaking of hot sauce, uh, do you happen to serve logs? Because I'm I happen to not I happen to stay away from the animals. I'm more into the potatoes and things like this. But I would love your hot sauce on some of my potato logs. Are you a veg- are you a vegetarian, Wiggly? Yep, I am. Me too. Since 1970. Very good. Yeah, there's two vegetarians on the phone. <laughs> yes. Now, now, he's a vegetarian since 1970, but I, I was around the last time he fell off the, the meat wagon. Uh-oh. And I was around the last time he fell off the alcohol wagon. Uh-huh. Now it gets juicy. He had one glass of wine in New Orleans in 1983. Well, that's just a grape. <laughs> grape juice plus as they call it no actually actually in september actually in september of 84 in raleigh north carolina i had a beer ah. yeah but that wasn't and, uh, yeah but that was yeah but walter that wasn't documented that's not a verified sport <laughs> that's right that's right also i also also it wasn't on tournament settings it was on factory settings so therefore uh it doesn't count really because i wasn't i wasn't playing i wasn't playing for a record i wasn't drinking for the record <laughs> It looked like there was a video glitch in uh, in the one segment there where the beer was about to touch your lips. Hey, Walter, speaking Absolutely. of... Absolutely. Uh, Walter, speaking of records and uh, speaking of challenges and speaking of food, why don't you tell them what happened in Otumwa? There was another victory that took place at the launch party. There's a, there's a restaurant that's famous there called The Canteen, yeah, and it serves like a, sloppy like Joe sandwiches. Mm. Just yeah. to give you an idea, yeah. they were supposed to knock it down to build a parking garage, and they won the lawsuit. And they weren't allowed to knock it down, and they had to build a parking garage over the canteen. But what I did was I got Jonathan Fatality, I got Todd Rogers, I got Steve Sanders, Mm. I got Tim McVeigh, Mm. and let's see who else. I got Triforce, and I got them all together, and I issued a challenge to them, and I said that I was going to go to the canteen and that I could out-eat anybody, (laughs) anybody. Jonathan Fatality never participated, so he forfeited uh-huh. So Todd was there, Steve was there, Tim was there, Triforce was there. Those four guys together did not eat as much combined as I ate. I ate nine canteens, and the four of them together ate eight. Fantastic, and that is a world record, I guess. That is a record. Well, you're supposed to do a story about this. I don't know where that would get documented, though. <laughs> they had the cameras running. and Ah, uh, well, that's oh, good. And and I only stopped. Why did I stop, Walter? Because who was coming by that I had to go to? You said to me. You had to go meet Congressman Lobsack. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we should have we should have brought him to the canteen and met him eat too. Lobsack, you say? 
Yeah, that's the name of the guy. Very good, Love very that. good. Hey, that's nothing wrong with that. Hey, speaking Billy Mitchell, speaking of your giant video game secret project, I think I know what it is. I think you just tipped your hand. That's good. Maybe you know what it is, and maybe I don't quite know what it is. Well, it's quite obvious to me. Pac-Man, I was thinking about the other day, Pac-Man, one of the few video games you could actually play with one hand. The other hand, of course, a pizza-eating contest. Oh, I'd win that, too. See, I, I'd win that, too, and then people, and, and instead of saying that I was arrogant about my victory, they'd say I was fat and arrogant. So. <laughs> Very good. How about some stories from on the road back in the, in the 80s? Um, a story from on the road back in the 80s. Okay, here's a real groupie story. We were going from Michigan to Chicago. Walter, what was the name of the town in Michigan? Oh, Grand Rapids. Okay, close enough. It wasn't Grand Rapids, but <laughs> we were outside of Grand Rapids, and we were headed to Chicago. Well, we were partway there, and it was like, um, say, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and Walter's driving, and he decided he had to stop and rest and meditate and get his act together. Sure. So we pulled over in a small town. Well, being in a small town, uh, it was me, Steve, Ben, Tim, and Jay. And we walked into an ice cream parlor that had video games. We walked in, and we basically announced we were the best players in the world, and everybody looked at us funny. So we started playing video games. And... We started running scores up. Lo and behold, they got on the phone. They started calling their friends, and suddenly the ice cream parlor was full of people. They're all standing there watching us play video games. We were like showing off. Uh, at the time, I was playing centipede. Well, now it's time to go because the guy wants to close the ice cream place. Well, <laughs> yeah. Ben took a liking to the one of the girls who was there. Ben always took a liking to one of the girls that was there. Sure. And uh, so the girl has a car, so we all pile into her car. So it's the two girls and all of us in the car. And I'm in the front seat, and Ben's mad that I'm in the front seat because the girl driving is the girl he likes. Mm-hmm. And I says, hey, Ben, you want to sit up here? He says, yeah. So I don't get out of the car. I just pile from the front seat to the back seat, and I land on him. Okay, and he's, a, I mean, he's half the size of me, and he manages to worm his way out from under me. He's climbing from the back seat to the front seat, and it was just one of those moments I couldn't resist. As, as hard as I could with both feet, I kicked him in the rear end and propelled him forward. Okay, his head went to the windshield. Oh, no. He he snapped the mirror off the windshield and he shattered the windshield. Oh my goodness! He looks up and he sees the windshield and he looks at the girl driving the car and he goes, "That was like that, wasn't it?" <laughs> so we all pile out of the car and we all tear like hell, running for the bus. We're running for the bus. We leave the girl uh, there in her car. So we all we all pile in the bus. Just about then, Walter's like sort of done resting and meditate. He goes, what are you guys doing? Hey, come on, Walt, we got to get out of here. We got to get to Chicago. What's going on? You guys are up to something. No, 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 we want to go to Chicago. Come on, park that bus up. Pull this thing out of here. So wow. he's trying to he's trying to start the bus up, and it's ringing, 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 ringing. <laughs> Suddenly behind us, you hear the this, this siren go the lights. <laughs> Uh-oh, we all go in the back of the bus and scatter. Walter has no idea what's going on. That's it. It's handcuff time. Wow! The officer comes up. To, the officer comes up to the bus, and uh, what we didn't know is he didn't know what had happened or anything. He just says, "The Walters or something I can help you with." And Walter says, "Well, we think we're out of gas." And he says, "Just to show you what a nice small town it was." He goes, "This is the diesel bus." He says, "Yeah." He goes, "Only one guy in town sells diesel." He says, uh, "Let me call him and uh, wake him up. He'll he'll come give you some diesel fuel." But at the same time that he was doing that, Walter got the bus started, and we pulled out of town, and we made our great escape. 
<laughs> oh my gosh! And they're still warrants out, I guess. Why? Yeah, Walter. Walter was always catching flack for us. He was always in trouble because of us, or trying to avoid trouble, or apologizing for trouble. Always, uh, uh, he was. He, he 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 was like he was like the manager of of a rock band, and was always getting in trouble. Yeah, it, it sounds like uh, you know Partridge Family gone bad. <laughs> you're on the you're on a tour bus. Mr. Kincaid is uh, you know trying to keep the the kids out of the Partridge kids out of trouble. But I can imagine yeah. that. I, I went across the United States with a caravan full of teenagers, and uh, I I could just imagine you uh, and and you're on you plural being the type of you know related to video games related to arcades and let's face it arcades in the 80s that was uh that was a that was a subculture that there there were there were certain types of people that that hung out at arcades in the 80s no doubt about it and that was a place to be that was uh that was a hot disco action no doubt about it. It, it it was a place to be black lights cigarette burns on the the machines and uh your soda spilled all over it it was always fun. It was always fun playing a game that you knew you were going to play for seven or eight hours or ten hours or even twenty-four hours. Um, like when I was with Jay, we were at the old Twin Galaxies in Otumwa, and he had been playing for it all night long. And it was the next morning. He was about at the twenty-four hour mark. We're standing around watching him as he, you know, continues to chug his way towards a world record. Little girl stands next to us. She's watching us play. She sees him play. She's thinking, "It's a cool game." She said, Grandma, I like this. She's watching. She puts her quarter up on the game. <laughs> and Jay looks at me and he goes, she put her quarter on the game. And then I go, I guess she wants to play. She looks at us and she says, that's right, I'm next. <laughs> Hope she brought a sleeping bag. <laughs> and anything else that you want to get across? Yeah, I, I got a couple things to say. Okay. First of all, I want to congratulate and thank you, Wiggly, and Kyle, your producer, for being uh, like pioneers. You guys stepped up to the plate right behind Billy, and you uh, embraced the International Video Game Hall of Fame, and you sent stuff that was valuable, something that you know not everybody could let go, let out of their hands. And you sent it, and you faithfully, you faithfully and contributed to this uh, growing Hall of Fame. And I think that you guys are role models for all these different people who are, are potentially listening and uh, I hope that they follow suit and follow your example and, and start sending things to the International Video Game Hall of Fame in Ottumwa. Oh, yeah, definitely. You have that same address. I think it's a post office box in Ottumwa, Iowa, and it's connected to the chamber, the, the Ottumwa Chamber of Commerce that right now is functioning as the recipient uh, uh, place for any kind of donation. People can donate money, and it's like a, it's going to be a 501c3 uh, not-for-profit organization so they could get, you know, some of the tax-exempt state certificate or whatever they call it sure. for any kind of financial donation. And they can also donate games. Maybe someone has an arcade game they want to send. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of people out there have hundreds of games in their collections. So the Hall of Fame needs their help, and they should become part of it, embrace it, and realize that it's their Hall of Fame, too. Right on. And it's a, it's a pleasure to donate. And take that, Wikipedia. That's all I got. Absolutely. Take that, Wikipedia. <laughs> Walter, 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 you know what I, I can envision possibly happening? And I guess it's good, uh, although it would certainly be challenging, is the word will go out about the idea that you can donate anything and everything video game related to the International Video Game Hall of Fame. But what is it that happened so many years ago when that same thing was put across by you in regards to business cards? You were clobbered. 
I think that there's, we can never get enough donations. If we get clobbered by too many donations, that'll just be good for the whole hobby, for the whole industry. Well, uh, if that does happen with video games, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll drive right down there, and I'll pick them up and, and put them in my collection. Because at one time, I had a, I had to liquidate all my uh, my games uh, so I could eat a sandwich, actually, which is kind of... Uh, I went through that. Yeah, I went sure. Through, I liquidated 150. Hey, that's it, I guess. Billy Mitchell, I salute your tie. Thank you for joining us on We Talk Games. Walter Day, thank you very much. Thanks, both guys, for being on We Talk Games. Please stop by to tell us about what you've been playing. We're honored to be on the show with the great Wiggly, uh, and we're glad to be friends with the legendary Kyle. He is and legendary. And we're looking forward to seeing all you listeners at the International Video Game Hall of Fame next August. We didn't tell you next August is a big deal. Okay. The details are going to be revealed soon. Okay, very good. Perfect game of Pac-Man. Billy Mitchell, thank you for joining us today as well. Game over. Bye now. Hey, that's it. That wraps it up. Oh, another, another. Whew. It's too much for me. It's too much. I got to take a break. But instead of taking a break, what we're going to do is we're going to go on the road with this show. Yeah, next next month, we're going to try something new. We're going to go on our, as we alluded to earlier, our con tour. Hopefully everything will work out. Keith, you think we'll be able to do this from the road next month? He's just shrugging his shoulder in the booth there. That's not very promising. Well, I'll tell you what. Next month, if you hear us on the road, then it all worked. If not, then it was all for naught. Thank you for joining us for another episode of We Talk Games. We couldn't do it without you and you and you and your wife. Of course, special thanks to Kyle Von Kubik, Hank Rogers, Wiggly Sito, Chiz, David Akers, John Seiler, Johnny Capcom, Greg Maletic, Billy Mitchell, and Walter Day, and of course, Titi Schmootkins. We've made a donut. Dual tips for donuts, donuts. Donuts. And of course, the resurrected stinky. I think I swallowed a bug. Of course, special thanks go out to the city of Lumberton. And of course, Kishka Honeypot from our PR department. I'm Wiggly. Please join us next month for another episode of We Talk Games. Bye now.